And then after I moved, I didn't tell my parents until I was in a kind of a relationship and it came up over the phone, like what's going on in your life. And I just fit it into the conversation because <laughs> just casually slipped it in. <laughs> I just, you know what it is? I told them, they asked me if I was dating anybody, if I had met anybody. And I said, I just said, yeah. And I used a male name and that was how I started it. And, uh, we I kissed the boy and I liked it. <laughs> yeah, basically. Is he wearing cherry chapstick? It was uh, bubble gum, bubble yum. <laughs> That's harder to rhyme with. I understand yeah, why exactly. Katy Perry went with cherry. Welcome to Grown Up Christian. I'm Casey. I'm Sam. I'm Jeremiah. And we're getting together. It feels like we've not recorded in a long time. Sam and I, I were both we on vacation. Podcasting. I forgot we did this. <laughs> we took a mental health break. Yeah. Was, Mostly we from over, work, but also from podcasting. <laughs> it has been so, forever. I feel like last, so last week, I just threw one together real quick. I was on vacation. You were on vacation. And the week before that, I don't know what we... I think our intro was recorded pretty far in advance just to not have anything to do while we were getting ready to go on vacation. And now it's, I don't know, it's weird. It's been like what, two and a half weeks, I guess, but it feels like it's two and a half years. A lot's happened. I survived a tornado from uh, a distance. Elon bought Twitter. Elon bought Twitter. There's that. Well, that's um, all kinds of good things. I went to a, a church event. Oh, Casey's back in church. Did you get and, and, the, and the tornado that God sent missed you, it sounds like. So you're still here to talk about That's it. That's why he yeah. went to church. He was like, God, Thankfully, if I survive this tornado, I'm going back to church. And here you are. And you are you, you rededicated your life to the Lord. Uh, one preceded the other. Planning on See, being I went, to, right? I went to uh, I went to men's night. And so God destroyed somebody else's house. <laughs> actually he destroyed but all the church <laughs> but the churches weren't hit and that's how you know god's sovereign in and watching over his uh his flock he now, saved how, the churches how, but he hated the ymca <laughs> well that's because they're a bunch of secular humanists you can't trust those secular humanists now, Casey, right. how long has it been since you like darkened a church's doorstep i think the last time i went to a church anything was like not, on Easter, like four or five years ago. Okay. So okay. I'm not counting like weddings, funerals and stuff, like an actual church service for church service reasons, four or five yep. years ago. Yeah. Cause, and I've talked about it before, but that was the one where the guy, the pastor was like, he's like, I'm going to lay out the case for the resurrection. This is CSI Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, I love those. I love the I, my oh God themed that's, episodes. That's a big deal, man. I, I mean, I obviously we all learned the case for the resurrected Christ, and I, I love how it always ends up being like. I mean, really, when you look at all the evidence, I mean, there's really no way to not believe in it. Really, and so if you're choosing not to, then you're deliberately choosing to ignore. It, which is funny because that's what you know we've been saying about climate change and shit like that. But I just <laughs> the idea of all like. That they think that all that evidence stacks up in such a way that it's like this slam dunk and you're like, except for that one part where like nobody comes back from that. Like that, that doesn't help your case. And then also everyone who wrote about it. Sticks in my craw. Everyone who wrote about it, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, 
weren't the people who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those were written like 40 years <laughs> later. So Sounds like somebody's gone to college and got himself some good old just, liberal well, they indoctrination. You, uh, they do not teach you that at Liberty <laughs> University. I, I, I'm, at Liberty, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote those. But really, it was just like a disciple of theirs who learned their story. I, I think you could go to any divinity and... program and you could audit multiple divinity classes and you would definitely learn different things in all of them, even all at the same school. There's nothing that like divinity professors love more than having their own special take Isn't on that funny? definitely true, obvious theology that everyone agrees on for sure. hundred percent. Like you're going to, you're going to school to learn about something, but you're depending on where you go, you're going to learn like math. Isn't like that. Science isn't like, that. like, <laughs> Not a lot of even philosophy is like the whole idea is like we're going to teach you all these different things that say they're all everyone else is wrong. And like that's the idea. And then you get to religion well, there's, there's, and they're like, this, uh, is how plenty of, this is how it works. Yeah, but there's there's plenty of things that like there's different schools of thought on and everyone's cool with it. It's just most of those don't have to do with your eternal soul and the souls of everybody who's ever lived. Yeah, like, it's like this there's different <laughs> Everything else is there's different thoughts on it and that's cool. And then you get to religion at a fundamentalist university. And it's it's like, like there's, there's different, different thoughts, thoughts on it and, and they're and burning forever. Yeah, and they're awful and they're wrong. I like there's peanut butter on top and jelly on the bottom. Okay, wait. Well, you're going to hell. Yeah, I like my damnation <laughs> predestined. <laughs> Speaking of yeah, peanut butter. I do remember that one of the uh, points in his uh, CSI Jerusalem thing was that like, Christ appeared to some women first. Yeah, that's a big one. Something like that. And he was like, women didn't have any legal clout. If they were staging this thing, if it was all a lie, they'd have gotten some men in there so that at least they had a, a feasible legal witness. You I mean, see? That's not, that's not a bad like, point, but for really bad reasons. <laughs> is it? It seems like a terrible point. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's, it's a terrible point. I'm saying from his line of thinking, I could see like, all right. Okay, you think you're making a really like smart point here. Like it's he did. it's bad, but you're here. <laughs> it's just, it's funny, like that was one of the things like that was that was like three PowerPoint slides. You're yeah, like, oh, well, I, okay. I got that one in youth group too. That, that's one of their number one that's the number one go-to, I feel like. Like people didn't believe not like now. We believe women all the time now, right, guys? <laughs> Our society's been really good at that. Yeah. No? Okay. Well, that no, no. <laughs> I'm sorry, someone trying You're to really touch this live wire. You're off your liberal nonsense today. <laughs> Casey, you want to talk about tornadoes and guns? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks oh, for yeah. showing Okay, up. so anyways, I went to a uh, uh, men's night. My mm -hmm. uh, buddy, Kevin, from college, from Liberty, invited me to it. It's his, his church locally here. And uh, we were on the dorm together. My first year at Liberty, he was kind of like a hardcore kid. Went to all the shows and stuff like that locally in Lynchburg there. And uh, somehow he ended up in Lynch back in uh, in Wichita. So I think he's originally from Virginia. But oh, that's funny. Yeah. So he he invited me out to this thing It was kind of it wasn't uh, heavy on the church th stuff. It was more like a men's fellowship hangout thing. And it was actually pretty fun. I thought I had a good time at it. I thought it was pretty decent. And uh the pastor spoke a little bit at the thing and it was he is he and his kids and his wife like went to Ukraine to do oh, like really? some. Yeah, they went over there to like hand out uh, like trauma kits. 
I thought you were about to say tracks. I, when I heard that, <laughs> that would have been I less cool. I, I was just, I was just all prepped <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, they had like these little trauma kits in in the like tiny backpacks. I'm, I imagine it's like gauze and wound dressings and maybe a tourniquet or whatever, you know. Yeah, but uh, uh, ways they to handed dig out like seventy or something like that. Yeah. Well, if you if you search for landmines with your leg, then you can patch it up if you do find one. Perfect. If you hit the jackpot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was interesting. He had uh, had a guy over there that was like his handler that was a native Ukrainian. And during the 2014 invasion, when they annexed Crimea, uh, this guy, for one reason or another, he got pulled off the street by Russian soldiers and imprisoned and uh, interrogated, in quotes, for like 23 days, I think he said 22 days, something like mm. that, it, which uh, their interrogation techniques have not changed a lot since the wall fell by the sounds of it. Yeah, that's not incredibly surprising, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. they had r- real Soviet interrogation techniques, like big fans of beating the truth out of you, shocking the truth out of you. Any uh, paint uh, rollers with spikes? No paint rollers with spikes. Maybe they haven't read that website. Yeah, well, don't send them the article link because things might get way worse for people. Yeah, it was actually, I mean, like he talked a lot about this guy and, you know, everything that happened. And it was, it's horrific. I mean, they, they wrecked this guy for almost a month. And the only reason he got out was because his wife left their child with their mother-in-law and like went back to the city where he disappeared to look for his body. Mm. And she somehow or another found out that he was being held in this like quote unquote prison, which was, you know, they had like 40 guys in this little room that was meant for, you know, four or five people or something. They were all stuck in there with bad sanitation and all that stuff. And then, you know, getting beaten and tortured and stuff in between. And she, I mean, this lady, you gotta take, you know, hats off to her. She like went into the, Russian camp and found like a higher up and basically pleaded with him to release her husband. And they did. Wow. So yeah, the guy's wife saved his life from like the worst situation ever. And then, uh, he ended up going back and I think he became a pastor after that. So he's a Ukrainian pastor, young guy. It was a crazy story. It's just wild. And I don't know. It sounded like they did some really good stuff over there. Yeah, so, was that, that was what the cool. whole event was? Was just like hearing that person's story and what it was like, and that was that what the intention of the event was? Or I think it was more just like, uh, hey, let's like it's hard to make friends as adults. Like, let's get people together and get them talking, and you know, okay. try to spur up some some friendly relationships and stuff like that. It was a cool idea. I really liked it. I thought it was great, and. uh Definitely the most fun church event I've been to in two decades. Did they have any gimmicks to make it like man friendly or man exciting? They gave away some a cool bunch of prizes. A beef jerky bag. They had like uh you had like raffle tickets, so you kinda like when you walked in, they gave you some tickets and you kind of put them in different buckets for different prizes, but they gave away like a fancy bottle of Maker's 46 and um what else like a knife sharpening set that's you awkward know, for cool stuff come on weaker brothers I'm just, impressed. I'm just impressed it's a church giving out whiskey as a gift i thought that was pretty progressive <laughs> yeah well it was in a brewery so 
They're really oh, okay. pushing the limits. Okay. So it wasn't okay. even at the church. And you know what? If you're an alcoholic and you're putting your tickets in the the maker's mark bucket, like shame on you and to begin with. <laughs> Maybe hey, his we house got hit with shame, the tornado. We don't shame alcoholics here, Casey. What the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> so did That's they do like did they you have crazy my dad's an alcoholic? How could you? <laughs> I'm personally offended. I'm telling on you. Uh, did, did they do like a praise and worship service or anything? Or like what was the set the stage? Was it a hour and a half hour? It was about an hour and a half. Eh, about yeah, about an hour and a half. So in the beginning, the guy kind of opened it up, just kind of stated what was going on and and uh, thanked everybody for coming. And then they had oh, like the, uh, no. it was like pizza buffet type thing and. And then it was mostly just to hang out. And then he talked for like 20 minutes, you know, about the Ukraine deal. And so, yeah, it was chill. It was very, it was well nice. done. Uh, low pressure, not a lot of like trying to shoehorn churchy stuff into an otherwise fun thing, which I know is a tough temptation to resist for those people. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're saying there was no altar call. There was no altar call. Oh my Thank gosh, goodness. it doesn't even count as a church service at that but Did point. you make new friends? Yeah, I made one new friend. We don't call okay. it that, Sam. We call it doing life together. Casey, oh, did, did you, you do life together? Did you meet one new doing life together? Did I do it right? <laughs> <laughs> did I do that life right? Did you do an hour and a I half think, of life with your fellow dudes? <laughs> I do think that that phrase was used at one point during the uh, the speech. Oh, that that's a... I feel like that's been a prominent one for a while. It used to, they moved from fellowship to doing life. Yeah, I don't you can call them like life groups or home groups or something. It was more like this is your like we do life together here. All right, it's like, what does that even mean? What is like other, referring okay, to your group? spouse as your person? Like, <laughs> ugh, stop it. Okay, <laughs> is anyone familiar? I know we're not exactly the, maybe the right people for this, but I feel like there's been this big increase in people just using the word partner lately and i don't yeah. think i'm okay why i don't think I'm, i i don't follow i think it's a desire to be inclusive of like i'm not gendering my spouse i will not i don't think it's a i'm not gendering my spouse it's just a if i say partner you should be feel free to say partner without having to say like husband wife they okay. them other kin like I, i'm not saying i agree okay, with okay. This, I'm saying, i think i think that's the line of thinking is like if i just give a generic thing like partner partner has no gender, has no orientation, has no whatever. No one should be offended at partner, and it everyone's on an equal playing field, I guess. But straight people in straight relationships are using partner. Is it so? Maybe is it have to do with uh, trying to take any emphasis off of the what gender everyone is I, in the relationship? I think like it's just an, it shouldn't I think matter. That's what he's saying. The idea that it shouldn't yeah. matter. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the idea. It's just, I thought he I was saying the idea is it's easier to say partner than to be a guy and say, this is my boyfriend. Because oh, no, no, no. Stigma. I think I think it's just it's the whole let's put everyone on an equal playing field. Gotcha. If you have a, a person, you have your person. They're your partner. And that's because all you should need to say. Now that we've established that there's I've seen this pushback lately that and this is because Twitter's a fucking cesspool uh, that partner is some sort of cultural appropriation that's been coming up wait no what i don't know you said that's been coming somebody has has to have a problem with it dude i don't know has it come up anywhere other than the dumb take side of twitter like that doesn't count there's not a lot of other takes for twitter i'm not sure (laughs) that's true which (laughs) other take you might be speaking of it's it's mostly dumb takes it's either on the left or the right but they're mostly (laughs) all right i'm i'm googling this yeah do you know the context seriously i don't they have a problem with 
I, what, ju- do I you understand the context. Like what's what's the context I, I in which they're saying it's I, offensive? I don't understand anything. I had to ask why people are even saying partner versus anything else, and why that feels like I almost feels like something you're supposed to do. Uh, but there, I all I heard was like uh, this back. I, it was just a back and forth. It was like all right, yeah, about whether or not okay. it's cultural appropriation or not. And I don't. Sam might not be a hundred percent wrong. Here's an article on Vice from 2018. Who gets to use the term partner? Some queer people feel it should belong to the LGBTQ community, but others feel the non-gender term should be normalized for everyone. Fuck everything. Can we just move on? <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm looking and I'm seeing our I'm sorry, it's a time for all couples to use the term partner. Should straight people use the word partner? Why some people use the term partner? How to plan to leave your spouse. All right, that's a different article. I'm not sure why that got in there. Whoa. <laughs> that escalated I'm quickly. Sick here. of being yeah. called a partner. Yeah, I don't. I, don't I, know. I only want to be called partner if Howdy precedes it. It's the only way. I, I think it's definitely we're, <laughs> we're not even at it. the saturation point where it would be normal to say that like my wife is my partner in normal like semi rural society. Like I think regular society lags so far behind Twitter hot takes that I don't even think that's a thing. Yet. <laughs> yeah, they're already dead and gone before any of us here. But I mean, that was 2018. We're four years late to this dumb argument. <laughs> <laughs> I know. When you I think, 2018, I was blown away. I couldn't. I would. I, I don't like think it's a really an thing. argument. Anytime I see something that says that, like some uh, queer people feel like that should belong to the community, I'm like, no. Okay, so you found a couple tweets from some hot takes uh, uh, from queer people online saying they didn't like it for one reason or another, and we're just going to extrapolate that out to be like some queer people are saying that you shouldn't use that term. It's like, uh, if the day I meet one queer person in like in person who has an opinion about that beyond like it's your spouse i don't care like that'll be the day but i i doubt that's ever happened remember when vice would do things like i don't know visit a north korean slave labor camp in the woods in russia and report on stuff like that and that now they've just turned into like buzzfeed's like <laughs> Bucktooth edgy cousin. cousin the edgy cousin of buzzfeed well i mean yeah but vice also used to have gavin mckenna so be careful which good old days you wish for i guess <laughs> yeah there's a, there's a tragic fall from grace tragic predictable <laughs> yeah oh edgelords i don't know i've only honestly i've only heard uh this might not be true i've mostly heard straight people say partner so that's why i that's that's why it's not a I, thing I, that I've ever considered. Yeah, I guess I'm direction. not swinging in circles where like people ref- like they normally just say their name. I don't know. It's just Maybe I just got to noticed. a point where like around certain people, I'm like, oh, should I have said partner? Am I going to offend them now? Like, I don't, I don't know where this ends, dude. It's look. All right, if we're going like, to start, slope if we're going to start picking apart terms that people use for their significant other, I say we kill the word babe. <laughs> Kill it, babe, babe, babe. You can, can, you can, like, okay, on the, like, on the divorce index, you can watch that <laughs> needle rise every time somebody says the word babe in like a thirty-minute period. Now, if now, you get up is that three or four times? It's not honey. going. I mean, you got three or four years left, maybe. Now, what is this when honey? they're referring to, to their partner in the third person, or when they're talking directly to them? Like when they're talking directly to them, and they're really like they, they, they cap, they start and cap a sentence with babe. It feels it feels babe, as can you hand me that bro. drink over there, babe? It's like bro, wow. bro, bro. Like that feels as condescending as bro. Uh, it's kind of like that, honey. Yeah. Do you? I don't. I, I that one feels weird to me. I don't think I have 
I might be I more Southern than y'all. <laughs> names that I call my wife. I think I call her by her name, and I don't think we use what would you call are those pet names? I don't like that term. Yeah, yeah, those me, are pet names. Makes I feel like that's a weird term. Nicknames. But... Call them Nick. Call them nicknames, and they can't hurt you. I feel like I have like thirty. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I, that I call April. These these feel like pretty normal names. Like I don't yeah. think I start in sentences with babe, but like I've definitely called my wife babe or honey or sweetie or a lot of other way more inappropriate names. But well, you know, you're free to. I just think less <laughs> of you. Oh, well, that I works. <laughs> I don't. I guess I don't care if people do. I'm not trying to start a feud, but I just I. I never adopted them. I think I, what, what, I feel like I almost always only call my wife, excuse me, partner by her, her name. You don't have any pet, like, like uh, terms of endearment or pet names for your, for your wife. What's, you what's her name in your phone? Jill your phone. parentheses wow. wife. <laughs> All right. I want to know about the parentheses. That seems like that's, <laughs> are there, uh, is I it like more than one Jill? Jilly bean or. No, uh, God, no! I'm not. A... <laughs> no way! That's weird. I There's some real the, the parentheses wife is because if I ever get in like a horrific accident and somebody finds my phone and they're like, oh, uh, going through my okay. contacts list, they'll be like, we should start here. Emergency well, contacts, Jilly Billy, <laughs> Jill, little baby Billy. <laughs> In parentheses, partner, and some poor like paramedics, like, "Hi, are you are you Sam's business partner? I don't yeah. understand." Uh, is it Sam's personal cowboy? Like, uh, no, I don't know. All right, Casey, as quick as you're rattling those off, like, I fully believe you've got thirty terrible nicknames for April. Yeah, yeah. You got Jeremiah. You have your uh, your barf bag out because this is about to get weird. Oh, I know. I'm going to be probably 100 percent on board with this. Like before Casey rattles any of them off, do either of you do this thing where, like, at least once per day, you try to get your wife to make the face at you, where she's annoyed, a little bit frustrated, but also laughing a little bit, and she can't help it because of the stupid or funny thing that you did, and you just do that as a test to be like, does she still? Okay, she still loves me because she would not laugh at that otherwise. Like, there's no reason for that for her to tolerate this. Hmm. I think my wife most of our relationship. Yeah, <laughs> but i even celebrate when i do it i'm like you made the face i'm good for another day and then she of course doesn't like that even more <laughs> but i'll just come up with stupid nicknames for her. like i'll just name random objects around the room but like in a but in like an cutesy voice so it's obvious i'm referring to her and she gets really mad because i've called both her and the dog bagel bite at different points <laughs> <laughs> I would, but, with, I, I, but I maintain it's all about the tone. It's all about it. the tone. You can tell which person it refers to. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's this feels like this does feel like a foreign concept. To me, I guess I don't. I don't think I have. Casey, go. What are your what? We're talking nicknames. You said you have some. You said you have some. Oh man, uh, I like to use male gendered nicknames for. Do you go with I April Flowers? Her, I call her boy. I call her flowers. fella. <laughs> little, little, little boy and incidentally that's also what she calls you yeah i knew this was gonna yeah. be inappropriate really quickly <laughs> yeah just like what uh, are you up to there little fella that's that's champ, a pretty frequent sport, one trooper pal uh lady i'll throw in a sweet pea once in a while and i'm trying to you know schmooze really set the mood you're like i'm really trying to get laid let's go with sweet pea tell you really yeah, but, this a lot. but knowing she casey knocks- I, I would bet 10 percent of these are to be endearing 90 percent is to annoy her there's like a there's a real like 
a sweet spot in there where it's like annoying in a fun way, you know. <laughs> and the best part is you mood, both you both agree where that line is. I'm sure a hundred percent. Judging by me and my wife, you guys are in total agreement all the time. Dude, what's going to yeah. be so stupid about all of this is as soon as we're done here tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to hear my wife refer to me as something other than my name and be like, God damn it. We do do that. And I just couldn't. I mean, does she call like, you nicknames? Or did you wake up and be like, so. good morning, Samuel? How are you? Well, no one calls me. Uh, <laughs> no, she, I don't No, No nicknames for me either. But you know when you like someone points something out and all of a sudden like you notice it everywhere, like or you get yeah. like a new car and then you notice that mm-hmm. car everywhere, like that happens all the time. And uh, now I'm wondering okay, so, if something so you're like you're thinking that's going you're, to there's probably so many nicknames that you just you've blocked it out in your head where you just interpret that as being your name all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's the that's Possible. my operating hypothesis right now, even though it's really not, and I know this does not happen. Wow. Do you have any? Did We're you talking. get any nicknames from friends that like stuck? That you, no. that you had for a while? Never. I was not a nickname guy. I remember. I remember okay. I'm did you put guys so much effort into finding one for you? I, I I used to think it'd be cool to have a nickname. Uh, in, but you can't obviously give yourself one. And then my family never had one for me. Yeah. I don't know. Nicknames. Did you guys have nicknames growing up? Yeah. Like, I, Sam, I'm sorry. I just don't know if I believe you. Like, this is. <laughs> You said your family never gave you nicknames to your face, maybe. But like, is there a sibling you can call that enough time has passed? You could pressure him into giving it up or like, is your family just not like this? 100%. Absolutely no nickname. Wow. The only, okay. The closest I've come to a nickname is the only person who ever calls me Sammy is my dad. That's the closest I've ever come to a nickname. Sammy. That's sweet. Yeah. It's cute. Right. But otherwise (laughs) nothing. My brother, John, I think no one ever once. Well, I shouldn't say ever once, like people outside of our family would be like abbreviated sometimes, but he's Jonathan. There's no John. I've never called my brother, John. I don't think once in my life I've called everyone else is one syllable names. Ben, Molly, easy, no nicknames. <laughs> like that's just not that didn't happen in my family. And now I'm feeling weird and sad and left out. Casey, what was, your nickname was Corey that, Matthews right? growing up. I remember that. yeah my longest running one is definitely chubs uh sometimes it gets morphed into chubbles (laughs) lunchbox oh no! most of these are from my buddy davis that was on this summer but uh in college people called me apple bottom on the dorm was it because i do remember that yeah i got i have a i got a big butt yeah it's always squeezed into small pants too it's superlative with most spankable (laughs) did you have any jeremiah yeah like again i I feel like it just blows my mind well i also have a like slightly difficult name so people are i don't think it's that difficult but people are always looking for ways to shorten it my family would call me uh the thing my friends really thought was funny was they would just cut out the second e and just call me jeremiah like my family would do that just from laziness (laughs) that's the exact same to me (laughs) jeremiah yeah Yeah, virginia and then they would shorten it to germ uh, which I also didn't really enjoy. And then of course, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. So then there were some people who always thought they were being clever that would like try to come up with bullfrog themed names. Those never stuck. Uh, but yeah, germ and Jeremiah are increasingly shorter versions of that. Maya. I also got called that a lot. Uh, just like whatever short version you could do in my name. What's, what's your dad's name? Steve. Ah, so we can't go with Jerry jr. 
<laughs> oh, oh, sticking the dagger in. No, I, I've got. Oh man, <laughs> got a grandpa Jerry or anything like that. His, his Jackie. Ah man, so close. We, we have the same initials too. <laughs> my my son's name is Sebastian. For anyone there who hasn't heard me talk about him, there. But I don't know why. So you call him Bash. Bash. No, I I I was against any nicknames for him. People were like, "What are we going to call him?" Sebby. I'm like. Fuck that. No way. Sebi sounds weird. Sebi. I, I hated wow. it. Uh, and then some people were like, some people said, I guess some people said, yeah, bat. What did you, what did you just say? Bash. Yeah. I guess that is a nickname for it. I don't like that either. So he's always been Sebastian, <laughs> but for some reason, I don't know why, when, or how I was just giving him silly names or names that I thought were silly. They're like real names, but like not, not common names. Uh, and I would do it because it would make him laugh. And at one point I called him Chauncey. And that has legitimately stuck as a nickname. So he, I, I'll frequently refer to him as Chauncey. And he still thinks it's funny. And it's been, that's been ongoing for over a year now. And it's not like one of those ones that'll, like, it's not one of those ones that'll stick, uh, you know, with his friends. Like no one else does that. But it's just like a little goofy thing that he still thinks is funny and, I still do. And that's one of those things where I wonder if like when he's older, if that'll still be like, oh, is that going to be our little thing? I don't know. He'll probably at one point be like, shut the fuck up, dad. I'm sick of you. Chauncey. But (laughs) I love it. I think it's cute. And he thinks it's hilarious. So we still roll with it. Oh, well, I am going to I'm going to really put pen to paper here and think of a nickname for you. And it won't stay like you don't get nicknames in your fucking mid 30s, dude. Uh, maybe not where you're from, but oh, definitely. Like I've gotten plenty from friends for like specific situations and stuff. So I don't mention them because they wouldn't be funny like Big without prick. context. <laughs> but, like you can definitely get one that'll last. Oh, that is one time. nickname that my wife does have for me. Sorry, I forgot about that one. Ooh, got him. <laughs> well, uh, should we introduce our guest? We should introduce our guest. All right. So our guest this week is podcaster Matt Molinaro, and. He, we had a great time talking to him. He hosts a couple of different podcasts, one called Rip from the Headlines, where they kind of delve into the the actual true crime stories that um, you know, Law, Law and Order episodes are based of, off of, which is pretty interesting. If you're a big fan of Law and Order, which I know there's a ton of people that love Law and Order, uh, it's a cool podcast because they really get into the weeds on some of those cases. And then they have one called Cool Story, which is about the Wheel of Time which is a pretty popular book series. It's also this year became a, or well, last year, I think it was, uh, what was it? Amazon prime yeah, uh, live action Prime's show. Yep. I watched it. It was pretty good. So and some big wheel of time fans out there. So both of those podcasts are great, but uh, we had a good time talking with Matt about his upbringing. Uh, he grew up in a very conservative environment and, you know, eventually, found out that he was gay and, and kind of came to terms with his sexuality and stuff. And there's just a lot of interesting things there and um, really interesting story and dynamic between him and his family and stuff going through all that. So, yeah, yeah. he came so, out, he came, ended up coming out like really late. Uh, like I think he was, I think he said 29. I, I can't quite recall, but you'll hear it in the episode and it was late and it was tough uh, for him to do that. But he has such a, I, I loved his, um, his take on things, right? He just, his perspective, his kindness about it, while also maintaining a level of 
like this is where I need to draw certain lines. I thought it was just re- a refreshing and an honest take that I thought I think it'll be really I think it'll resonate with a lot of people. And even if honestly, even if you're not gay or didn't have to come out to your conservative family, I think a lot of, you know, the way that he approaches it, it you could adopt some of that mentality when it comes to how you do deal with family that's difficult and doesn't respect boundaries and things like that. So, yeah. So great episode. I think you're really going to like it. Um, check out his podcast again. They're called cool story and rip from the headlines. And if you like this podcast, uh, be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps out a lot and we're getting a pretty good list of them. Now we got a, a bunch of them. So thanks to everybody who's pitched in and written one of those on our, on our iTunes page. So, all right, without any further ado, enjoy our conversation with Matt Molinero. Friends, I know a lot of you out there are small business owners. I know a few of you are musicians or artists. Regardless of which camp you fall into, eventually you're going to want to put out some custom merchandise. But the prospect of getting a design together and going through one of these impersonal large-scale websites can be intimidating and tedious. And that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Minor Threads. Minor Threads is a North Texas-based custom printing company that is able to help you get your logo, your company's branding information, your design onto almost anything. Maybe you want to order some shirts, some stickers, banners, maybe enamel pins. The merch game's crazy these days. Minor Threads can help you with all sorts of promotional products. They also specialize in custom printing with low minimums. That can be great if you're a small company just looking to put in a small order. And for our environmentally friendly friends out there, uh, they have plenty of eco-friendly options as well. So if you're ready to take that step and get some merchandise, go to minorthreadco.com and request a quote. Mention this ad and you get up to 15% off custom print orders over 100 bucks. 15%. So again, go to minorthreadco.com and tell them your boys at Grown Up Christian sent you. Everybody, we're back with our guest, Matt, Matthew, Matt Molinero. I've just been calling you Matt, That's, but uh, I know your full name's Matthew, so <laughs> what are we going by here? <laughs> uh, make it simple, call me Matt. Matthew's fine, right. but whatever flows more naturally, just do it. Not Matthew. Ho- no, holy moly, it no. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Matt. So we've been talking a, a good bit uh, over some time on uh, on Instagram, and uh, you, we just were interested in hearing from you and getting to know your story. We've had, um, I don't know, every once in a while, we just connect with people on Instagram and get curious about their stories. Um, so why don't you just go ahead and kind of kick us off a little bit with the environment that you grew up in like what your childhood was like how did you join the militia oh gosh (laughs) well i was uh born into it i guess well not necessarily i guess when i was born the lord's army no when i was that is weird we used to sing did you sing that song when you were a kid because i'm in the lord's army Army. yeah i may never march in the infantry infantry ride in the cavalry shoot the artillery That's like yeah. my early church days. That's like my early. We went to a few different iterations of Christianity over over time before my parents settled on what they were going to really drive oh. home. Oh, um, that must have been fun. 
<laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, as a kid, it didn't really hit me what it was all about until I got a little older. And I was like, oh, okay, this isn't really that fun anymore. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> we were when I was a really little kid, we were not we were like probably Catholic on holidays until I was like five or six years old because my dad had no real religious background. My, my grandparents are from Italy, like that kind of Italian, Italian Catholic kind of vibe. Um, but church wasn't like a big thing until my dad, he's very public about this part of his life. So I don't feel too like, uh, shy about sharing it, but he had a serious drug problem when he was growing up. And when I was really little, he was still in that. And then his last stint in a rehab, uh, which is like a Christian rehab center called teen challenge. They still exist. It's like a big thing. Uh, that's where he found God. And he never went back. And so when I was around five, that's when we became super Christian. Um, And that's really interesting. Yeah. So that was like a transition. And at the time, that part of it was like, oh, cool. Like we go someplace on the weekends because, you know, I didn't really care. And so my early church days were okay. And that church was like, I want to say some sort of non-denominational Christian they spoke in tongues, though, which was weird sometimes. I'm was... learning since we started this podcast that way more non-denominational churches spoke in tongues than I thought. Yeah, I, I never knew what it was. It was just bizarre. And I kind of forgot about it until I was older and was talking to my brother about that church. And he was like, oh, yeah, I remember when they used to speak in tongues. And I was like, oh, yeah. I Is guess your brother older? Or yeah, younger? He's, he's five okay. years older. All right. Um, so his memory of that of all that stuff way is, more vivid. he was like 10 when that all started he yeah got a little and bit he, more of a distinct memory i'm sure he hated it from the jump like he was <laughs> super hated it from the jump and i was I like i feel like that would be scary <laughs> as a kid like if you got no point of reference for what's going on and adults are normally so like you know formal and stuff mm-hmm. if you're a kid to all of a sudden see them like like an adult screaming when you're mm-hmm. a kid is unsettling no matter what it is you know yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. I think for for my memory, it was mostly during worship when it would happen. And then I would go to like Sunday school or whatever it was with like the little kids. Um, that portion of my religious background was all right, I guess. And then when I was about nine, my dad got remarried. My parents had been divorced since I was like five. And then my dad got remarried and we started going to this. He met his wife through a Christian count, like a Christian ad in the paper in the nineties, like look, man seeking Christian woman. Um, <laughs> and I will say what I do remember from before that was we were not allowed to listen to like secular music or watch like too much like television period, unless it was like watched by my dad first. And he thought it was like not satanic because everything was satanic. All of a sudden, everything we once thought was fine was satanic. Um, and what were some of the big ones? Name some satanic heavy hitters. Smurfs was a big one. Oh shit! That one pops up. Why Smurfs. is that a? Oh, is it because uh, that guy does magic? A, he's a magician. Is that there's what it is? A, there's like a Sorcerer? whole thing. There's a whole thing. So the what I remember, <laughs> the reason Smurfs was satanic was a the the hats the Smurfs had on their head where you couldn't see underneath. The reason were penises they were like oh. <laughs> I mean that was, maybe that's they had penises I'm, underneath them. <laughs> <laughs> they were uh, they're horns underneath the hats. 
Oh, the demons, and that's why the little f- flops forward in the front because there's nothing supporting the rest. So they're demons, and the whole secret message of Smurfs is that Gargamel is a regular dude, and he is plagued by these demons in his head, which are the Smurfs, and he's constantly trying to like get rid of them, but they are all always coming back because. <laughs> what kind of Reddit fan theory the is this? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think there's also a. I don't know if I've ever seen an image of this, but I've heard a million times that there's a pentagram in Papa Smurf's house someplace, and some of the Smurfs are named after Deadly Sins. I think maybe one, maybe Vanity, maybe another one. I don't know. That was the whole thing with Smurfs. So Smurfs was demonic. That's um, so fascinating. I'm de- I'm doing a, a little bit of a dive into this after yeah. we get off here. <laughs> if you watch those like old satanic panic videos, like it's always a guy in an ill-fitting dress shirt and a big mm-hmm. wide tie. And he's giving a presentation going through like pop culture references and stuff. He's usually got a mullet and a mustache. A goatee, oh, yeah. maybe a goatee. Sometimes yeah. a vest. If he's cool, <laughs> he's wearing a vest because he's not yeah. like a, he's not like the guys in church. He wears a vest. Um, <laughs> Dude, bring back the vest. When when is that coming <laughs> back around? Like the vest with no coat. That's what I want to get into. Oh yeah. Like uh ninety eight degrees. Oh yeah. <laughs> Or it, like even further, like living color days or something oh, where it's like yeah. a patterned vest, you know? I like a patterned vest. A patterned vest where the pattern looks like it could also be on a trapper keeper or something. Yeah, That's I didn't know that. Like, like, it looks like the carpet at a roller rink. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My dad had one of those, those satanic panic videos we watched a lot, which was called Hell's Bells. And it was about satanic music. And he played it a lot at the house. That VHS tape was worn out. And I remember there was a lot of like flames and dim candlelight when they would play this like heavy metal music. And uh, I think we need to get yeah. that over to Everything is Terrible. Oh, they've oh, played yeah. it. Yeah. They've, they've definitely big... had a bunch of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that was the early days. And then he kind of carried on with like, don't watch TV. Don't, don't do this kind of stuff. But I would go to my mom's house on the weekends and she would let me do whatever I wanted, which luckily for her was like eating snacks, staying up late and watching TV and like playing video games and listening to music. So a uh, real wild child. And then uh, when did you um, <laughs> how when did your parents split up? I, after my dad got back from the rehab and he found God, he realized like my mom wasn't good. They, they met each other in a time of his life that he couldn't, you know, accept anymore and i don't think she was willing to get on board with the whole like as deep into the christianity thing as he was and i think that's generally the vibe i got about what kind of ended it all it was for the best trust me um yeah but yeah so i was around five so from five on whenever i'd go to i'd lived with my dad mom's house on the weekends and like split the summers um that is that's kind of an unusual split um, I feel like most people end up staying with their moms and dads on the weekends. Yeah, I think that's, if I remember correctly, that's how it started out. And then there was some sort of renegoti- <laughs> renegotiation. Uh, I just, my brother, I think, had a lot more say in it than I did. I was just kind of like, I'll go where my brother wants to go. Yeah. And he wanted to stay where my dad was because my mom is the one who moved out of the house and went to a different town. And all my brother's friends lived in that town. So he was like, I don't want to change schools. Um, that makes sense. Saw her yeah. on the weekend, she literally lived two towns away most of my life, so it wasn't like a uh, hard to get there. Um, Wait, which was now lucky. did you, did she have cable? Oh yeah, of course. She wanted okay. to be the better parent, so she had everything. You know, she wanted to be the favorite. So we can, that's a dynamic I missed out. Situation on. to be in. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it was great at the time. In retrospect, I, my therapist has different things to say about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay, I'm sure. so you're We're going to therapist. you're going to mom's house this weekend. Uh, what is the show? What shows are you like most looking forward to watching that you're oh, so excited about? For sure, like old school, like TGIF on ABC on Friday nights, which was like Sister oh, yeah. Sister, Mister Cooper. Um, step by step, all that kind of stuff, and then Snick on Nickelodeon Saturday nights, so I could watch The Secret World of Alex Mack. Yes, I thought I, yeah. I, thought I had a crush on her, but spoiler alert, uh, I think I just wanted to be her. Yeah, um, <laughs> and <laughs> then uh, Saturday mornings, X Men is all I wanted to do is wake up and watch X Men. Oh and, my god, uh, what's your X Men? X Men fan. Gambit was my favorite. Gambit and Storm were like my favorites for sure. Because yeah, that old school I, X-Men was like the best. I hear they're rebooting it, actually, that version of it. Oh, no way. Dude, That's I got into, um, I was huge into that as a kid. I was a big X-Men fan. Like, I, I'll, the joy that I felt when the first X-Men movie came out. I went and oh, yeah. my brother and I went and saw that in theaters with my dad. And I was, I was still, because, you know, my, we were, my parents were f- somewhat strict on movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, in comparison to a lot of like evangelical homeschooled kids, not so at all but mm-hmm. like they had to vet every pg-13 movie there was a lot that they weren't on board with but that one yeah. got an instant pass um oh, my dad would have killed me killed and me. uh <laughs> i remember being like i don't know this feels this seems weird like it was mm-hmm. like kind of gritty when like uh the, it opens with wolverine fighting in the cage match and i'm like what do we watch <laughs> I, uh, Dude, I don't know where this it's is so go. good it's, it's still great. holds up i watched it like a yeah. year ago and it's great it's a yeah. good fucking movie. The first two were phenomenal, and I haven't really liked one since. And I know a lot of people feel like they like the, the later newer ones, ones better. And yeah. They just, I couldn't do it. Mm. They weren't really for you me. Know, I'm like, I like all of them for their own reasons. I try to look at these like uh, reimagining of, of things I've liked as a child or whatever as like their own totally different thing. I can't yeah. get too hung up on the original stuff. And I wasn't allowed to have comic books growing up. So it wasn't like I had that as a frame of reference. So for me, it's like, you know what? I just like magic and powers and cool shit like that. So anything yeah, yeah. that does it and it doesn't look like super, super lame at the time, at least, uh, I'm into it. It's like, whatever. What am I going to do? Like, I'm going to get on the internet and start yelling at people because Storm's hair color is wrong or like someone's like, leave me alone. A lot of people. A lot of yeah. people do that. <laughs> You know That's what a I lane think? that a lot of people take. Those people are the same people who go to the store. They're like the internet versions of like the people who go to the store and want to speak to the manager because they don't get their way. It's like, what is the big yeah. difference between you and that person that you hate at the store who's like, I didn't, I, what do you mean I can't get a, a Frappuccino right now? What do you mean you ran out? It's like, this is supposed out. to be 50 cents off. It's like, you just, Rung up $300 bill and you're fighting about 50 cents off? Well, just okay. chill. Just chill and Dude. enjoy it. Let people enjoy their life. Old <laughs> Star Wars fans are the worst. Because yeah. I'm like a huge, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. But like, you know, I'll follow like some of the pages and especially when the newer movies were coming out, which weren't my favorite. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. But like the lengths that they go to, like to scream and yeah. say awful things on a Facebook post is insane. What a waste of time. Find something better to do with your life. Find something better to be upset about. <laughs> I feel like we live in this age of like, it's like the super nostalgic age too. Um, yeah. I feel like everything nineties is getting like rebooted in some form or fashion. To, mm-hmm. I don't, probably because like, 
I, I don't know, maybe millennials are watching the most television and they're trying to cater to them. I'm not sure where it's coming from, but I think uh, it. it definitely, definitely sets the tone for potential unrest uh, for people and fans, because if you don't honor their shit right, they are going to crucify you on the internet. Yeah. Are we the first generation of people that anyone gave a crap about children? Like, so, like we're the first generation that weren't just seen as like farm tools. Yeah. <laughs> if, if my dad had his way, the cartoons, I, the only cartoons he really allowed in the house was a Christian cartoon called McGee and Me. Yes, was, yep. uh, there we go. Like, little kid, you know, and his like a little imaginary cartoon friend. And then there was one called Chalky, and he was like a book. He was like a Bible. Oh, yeah. Cartoon. Oh, wait. S- Salty. Something like that, right? Salty the Psalm book. He's okay. like a big blue book with Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yeah. Everything is terrible has definitely like played the, some salty jams. Yeah, we ha- we had those for sure. And my dad was weird about the media he let us consume because he didn't want anything that seemed like of the devil or anything like that or anything close to like magic. But then if he really liked something, he would like make a pass. So like Anything fantasy was like bad, but if it was sci-fi, it was okay because he liked that kind of stuff. And violent things were bad, but if it was like martial arts violent things, that was okay. So we could watch Bloodsport and we could watch Star Wars, but we couldn't watch like Harry Potter or something like that. It was like, hmm, okay. Uh, Yeah. I mean, when Harry Potter came out, forget it. That By that time, we were in the big church I was in for most of my life, which was a Messianic Christian church or a Messianic Judaism church. I'm not sure if you guys oh, really? are familiar with that. Uh, yes, I am. I didn't know. I didn't know uh, people who hadn't been previously Jewish went to those. Yeah. So the church we went to, I always knew it as like a Messianic Christian church, but you could have said, I think it was interchangeable with like Messianic Judaism. And a good portion of the people that went to that church, like were very traditionally Jewish in their like, style of praise and worship and dress like yarmulkes and they yeah we blew the they, they keep all the jewish whatever. holidays and do all that yeah too. most of them we yeah. observed them and my pastor was a rabbi um and then a lot of people just looked like they never went to a temple in their life and many of that them were so christian first and then went to this church so my basic understanding of it was like you observe all of the Jewish traditions and writings until they said that Christ was not the Messiah. And then that's when you cut off your ties with Judaism. And then from then on, so like my pastor would read from the Torah sometimes, but mostly from the Bible. And it was essentially just like being born again Christian, but with like Judaism peppered in. Um, It was was a lot of flavors. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like I would like to visit strict, that church. <laughs> I'm curious. Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> since then, that was where I was from like 10 until I got old enough to drive and said, I don't want to go to church anymore. And then that's like the last time I really went to church regularly. But my parents are still very, my dad and stepmom at least are very, very much Christian. Now they're in some sort of smaller church that my dad's a pastor at. My dad's been a pastor for a long time. And uh, so he loves 
my gayness. It's like his favorite thing in the world. Big, big <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you guys bond heavily over that. Oh yeah. He's like, can't wait to talk about it. Have you seen the last episode of RuPaul's Drag Race? Let's chat. Like he's really into it. Um, but yeah, he's, he's in a, I don't know exactly what his church is about. And I kind of don't want to, because the things I hear are troubling. And it, to me sound, I mean, I, I'm saying it sounds culty, but I think a lot of the churches we went to have a lot of cult elements to them. So, you know, how much small churches are worrisome. Yeah. Like somebody sh- like you got a family member that's kind of annoying at family functions and always seems to bring up, y- you know, whatever they're blaming Joe Biden or Obama mm-hmm. for at the time. Like if they go to a mega church, yeah, whatever, that's fine. But when they go to a church that has like 60 members, mm-hmm. I'm concerned. Yeah, that's definitely like the church my dad goes to now. I think I might even be less. Um, yeah, it's my dad and my stepmom go there. And my little sister is like sort of going there, but she's not very well liked there because she's uh, getting old enough to make her own decisions and figure things out. Cause my and we sister, know women aren't allowed to do that. Oh, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, she's not. So her big thing... Uh, is she's dating someone who's not Christian and the church when they found out when she told my parents she was dating someone who wasn't Christian they of course lost their ever loving minds and then within a day the pastors of the church that they go to were emailing my little sister to have a meeting with her because if she continued this relationship she's not allowed to be part of the church anymore so that was the big red flag where I thought oh that's not like the church not that the church we went to wasn't has its own whole like slew of terrible, dangerous things that affected me for the rest of my life that I'm still undoing. But yeah, that that church was definitely different. Like the churches I've always gone to were like, oh, you're not Christian? Get them in here as fast as possible so we can make them Christian. This yeah. is more like a country club. Like, oh, you're not Christian? Yeah, you're not yeah. coming in here. Like what? what is, I thought the whole point was to like get more membership or I mean to but love you God. You can't missionary date and you oh. can't. Uh, you're going to be dragged down into the mud of yeah. dirty secular heathens. If you, that, that, I, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think that's always fascinating. And they use the whole like equally yoked concept from the oh, Bible. And it's like equally yoked comes out of their mouths all the time. And yeah. it's weird because my little sister, she is not living a life that they would like at all, but she's still undoing a lot. She, and she doesn't even know if she wants to. So she's going through like a, she's like in her mid twenties now. And she's yeah. been in the church her whole life because when my 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 dad and stepmom had her, they're like, "Oh, we're not gonna fuck this up because the other three kids are all heathens, basically in their own way, and this one is gonna be the Christian, and we're gonna." So if we know, double really down do right. and ultra immerse them, this yeah. is gonna work out perfect this time. <laughs> yeah. So she was homeschooled from like first grade on till end of high school, and in this church, and now she's sort of trying to figure out what do I believe because I believe it? And what do I believe because I've always been told that's what I believe. And I'm like, well, that's, I'm trying to gently, I'm not trying to push because I don't want to be exactly like them. Yeah. She's, she's figuring it out. I mean, she's going to have too many things that she wants to do in her life that she's not allowed to do. And that's ultimately what's going to make her break it. I mean, she accepts me being gay I think at least out loud. Um, so <laughs> that's a big problem for the church too. So I think, you know, and I think it was easier when I was in California because I didn't come out until I moved out of the country, out of the state. Um, so being back here, I think raises a lot of problems for 
that whole dynamic in the house. You should so. start going to that church. Just I'd like rather, no, I here's would the rather plan. Listen to me. I have a, I have an idea. Look, I, you pro I'm not saying this will be good for you emotionally, but I think this is still a good idea. <laughs> um, this is a good start. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, because I, and, I think this is because I kind of want to do this a little bit is like go to a church that doesn't want you there because they love this idea mm. that they can like, if you're going to be here, these are the rules. I like, that's, what's funny about them to like wanting to meet with your sister. It's like um, in our discord, uh, Casey's wife shared something. It was like one of those like things that a, a church, it's a letter that the elders sent out to this girl who was living with her boyfriend. Uh, I guess this went viral on Facebook mm. not too long ago, but it was like, if you don't come and like repent of your sin in front of the entire church, then you, we're going to have to disfellowship you and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, like they act like that has some real power. And like right. you're reading that you're like, this seems like a good, as good a time as any to get out. Like, why you're not making this seem like anything I want to go back to. Right. So I, they, they think that they have like all this control and power and they hate when they don't get that. So I want people who are absolutely not welcome there to just show up every Sunday and exist just because it's going to get under their skin so bad. And they'll be like, you have to go. And you're going to be like, that's okay. I'll still come because they can't make you leave. They cannot like they churches like to act like they can kick people out, but they truly can't. So if you can find people who just cannot let that get to them, I'm not one, of them. but I like the idea of it because it kind of just puts it on them to, uh, this sit, I like they, the idea I, I as long as I don't have to deal with consequences. Make them the uncomfortable ones, right? I feel like I could, I could definitely like hold my tongue in these types of situations. I've definitely learned how to like when to make my points and how to make them. And I definitely could sit there and listen to all the stuff, regardless of what it is. I know if I went to uh, that church, surprised them, and was at the service or whatever they call it, the sermon or whatever the message would be would suddenly change while I was there <laughs> to be like directly towards me. It would be like when I go to dinner at my dad's house, like all of a sudden random Bible verses about how when you stray from God, what happens and uh, what's oh. the right thing to do would just start to make their way into conversation, even though my dad does not slick at all. So it's really less making its way into conversation, more like you ask him like, hey, how's your day? And it's like, did you know that um, <laughs> Jebediah? <laughs> it just, it doesn't ever flow. Um, it just, yeah. it's, and it's unrelated. It's Never like, related. Uh, hey, we're going to say grace yeah, not... before dinner. And he somehow mentions Sodom and Gomorrah. And you're like, exactly. what, the, what the, exactly. the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, um, I know they recently went on a trip to Ohio and went to that Noah's Ark life-size Noah's Ark and creation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Ark so, Encounter. Yeah. So I don't know if they are young earth creationists. I didn't ever know that to be any church we've gone to. It's never been like we actually thought dinosaurs <laughs> walked with men <laughs> and uh, with the biblical characters and that they were on the Ark and that, um, which is completely impossible <laughs> um and that the people who like moses was actually like 900 something years old like actually in the years that we know them now it's been 900 years old and it was just because it was different back then before the ark yeah i didn't know that the explanation that. for that is so good but there is none there is no none. there is listen Water it's canopy. because no, it's because <laughs> before sin entered the world mm. everyone lived forever 
But after oh. sin entered the world, the effects of sin took their time to affect people. So they didn't immediately have a short lifespan. They still lived for a really long time. And then as sin took hold in the world, that continued to shorten people's lives. Mm, that is life. why life expectancy Damn. continues to decline mm-hmm. year after yep. year after year. This is interesting because... Does that make same... sense, Matt? Do you oh, understand now? now? I get it. You've illuminated my mind. I feel like, <laughs> wow, wow, I get it now. I, Can I get a holy moly? See, it's simple. <laughs> they, the same people who believe this type of stuff are the same people who say that... Uh, evolution and stuff is such a silly idea because it's so out of what do you mean people came from apes that's the most wild outrageous belief in the world but we believe that people live forever and you know walked among giants and dinosaurs and all of these other magical things that in other media is satanic and unbelievable but when it's in this book it's a fact absolutely what do you mean of course that's fact that that makes total sense it is funny when you see like the trends because, I mean, we grew up around so many people like that. And I was that person, you know, mm-hmm. like you I think in your head, you know, that this doesn't really square with your reasoning, mm-hmm. but like you're committed to the idea of like believing it. So you collect reasons and you collect talking points. And I feel like it seems like a, a strictly like conservative evangelical thing until you start like you you remove yourself from the community and you start watching other people you know especially online and stuff where they like they'll pick a person that they don't like that's a public figure and mm-hmm. then they start just collecting and building this case against the person and all these reasons why they hate them and and why it's justified and stuff and eventually you get into like territory where you're looking at it and you're like this just this is such a stretch. Like this doesn't make any sense anymore. But like, if you want to hate them, you can you can square with that reasoning. You know, it's just like a weird human impulse to reinforce our own ideas about things that way. Yeah, I think it's interesting because you have at the basis of the religions that are still around. So like, I'll call them like the successful ones that have stood the test of time. There are like good moral compass type of lessons in there somewhere. Like, yeah, don't kill. Great. Uh, Try not to lie. That's nice. Sure. So like these sort of like concepts, there's what what you like, oh, well, you know, those things make sense to me. Those things are okay. So maybe the rest of it's kind of okay. And maybe I can, okay, well, that makes sense. It's if there wasn't some sort of in there somewhere, something you could resonate with, you'd be like, oh, this is all bullshit. But they, they yeah. have like some sort of like parables and fables in there that that work for you. And so you're like, well, OK, well, I guess I don't want to kill people. So what's the alternative? I guess it, they make you believe if you're little like that when if you leave the church, if you're not Christian and if you're not the Christian they want you to be, your life is doomed to be miserable, lonely until you die and then you burn in hell for all of eternity. And it's like that if, it's always that if, like, well, better safe than sorry, might as well just, you know, do this and on the off chance that they're right, so I don't end up burning in hell for eternity. Yeah, yeah. There's a, they do this game where, um, I, kinda, I guess it's kind of like the Josh McDowell game a little bit, where it's like, they, because they, you mentioned the morality aspects of certain religions, and I think uh, healthy iterations of religion go deeper than just like basic preschool morality lessons but what 
I think unhealthy versions of religion do is they make it sound like those morale, those that's only moral because you need like this, uh, you need, you need a God behind it to make it moral. And they, that if you don't have that, then what's the point? And then Mm -hmm. it's almost like they approach these arguments with, um, like, well, it, how do you know it's wrong? Without God, everything's relative. It's like, well, you still need to conclude. People need to get together in a room and conclude what that God's like. Uh, that's a form of relativism in of itself. But I do think it's funny because the argument's almost you're not convincing. It, they're not convincing anybody that there's a powerful God behind uh, these arguments that should make them want to then become Christian because they don't think lying's good. It's like all you're really doing to people is it's like are you trying to just make people worse because they're not going to jump on your ship just because you're trying to it's like if if you pull that rug out from under them you're just not that anyone really goes in that direction but it's that's a stronger case to convince people that they shouldn't be good because there's no reason for it than it is to bring them into your camp and it's just kind of like poorly constructed argument yeah it's like the whole natural law thing i don't remember exactly all of the tenets of that but wasn't that with like C.H. C.S. Lewis that talked about like we all have this innate? He's basically talking about conscience, which is like yeah. an innate sense of right and wrong that we're all born with, and it all sort of mirrors the same principles. But like it's also kind of just woven into the social contract that we all have to abide by. Like you know, if you're a member of the tribe that lies all the time, people aren't going to want you around. If you're a member of the tribe that like, you know, does violent things and lashes out at people and hurts people, you know, for whatever reason, like nobody wants you around if you're that like it's part of like just growing up around other people is you you come to the realization that like, oh, if I want to be a a member in good standing of this group, I can't lie all the time and I can't, you know, push people every time I get angry or I don't know, right. slap people at the Academy Awards or whatever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that kept me, cause I was very into the church in like when I was in like the junior youth group. Uh, so, and I think, let's see, I was a uh, middle school. I think is when I got like into the church and I was really all in cause a, I wanted to, my older siblings did, kind of like they were in the youth group, but they were in it for social reasons mostly. And my dad and stepmom were like, okay with it because, hey, they're going to church. Um, but they just, you know, everyone just kind of hung out and waited for lock-ins and and whatever events they could do to like hang out and, you know, get away from the parents. And our youth group lock-ins. leaders were cool. So like it was fun to hang out with them. And but me, I was like, oh, I'm going to be the one that gets it right. And my parents are really going to like accept me because I was closeted and I knew I was gay. I knew I was different, knew I was gay since I was like five, four or five. I knew I was not like everybody else. And when I knew what that was, I knew, and I'm using the term knew as what how I felt at the time, I knew that wasn't okay. And I knew that that was going to ruin my life if that was accurate, if that was true about me. And so I, and I was like, you know, teased in school. So I didn't have a lot of like, we were, I was kind of a weird kid in general, paired with religion stuff, paired with like a strange upbringing. So didn't have a lot of friends growing up. And then the idea of going to church and being with kids that didn't go to my school 
and maybe having a chance to have like community was really what I like desired. And I just thought, okay, I already feel like I have to be this one person. And at least here I have a chance to make friends and, and have that kind of thing I looked for. And I thought that the person who I really was was someone I didn't want to be and that I wanted to like essentially kill if I could. And so the idea that I could find this community of people that my family would accept and that I could maybe be like them. And maybe the reason I'm feeling the way I am is because, you know, I'm bad, I'm wrong, and I just haven't met the right people and I've never had access to what's right and good. And so I thought, this is the way, this is how I'm going to like fix myself and make myself palatable. And uh, Mm -hmm. I really clung to that. So I was all in for whatever reasons. And, you know, it's much easier to like sit on your high horse and look down your nose at people that are, that, you know, you are being teased by on a regular basis. It, It became the kind of thing where, okay, yeah, I'm being like tormented at school by these people and these bullies and stuff, but they're all terrible people. They're not like Christian. They don't go to church. And like, in the end, I'm going to be in heaven in the kingdom of God and everything's going to be great. And they're all going to be in hell. And then who's laughing then? So it was like, it gave me some sort of like secret power in my mind over them that I could feel good about that I didn't have in reality. And so that kind of kept me in there for a while. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think that um, I know there is some e- e- kind of extreme mindsets behind that that probably weren't healthy, but given the alternative, um, well, I guess the alternative would have been you didn't grow up in a church environment and maybe you would have had, I don't know, found yourself able to fit in a little bit better. But given your situation, do you think that um, that, that was a healthier alternative than maybe something else that you could have thrown yourself into? Like, even though it's not ideal, uh, when, looking at your options, get, did that help you get through high school in a way um, that maybe kept you safer than if you just kind of rejected it, but Took didn't really LARPing. have. Yeah. Hey, yeah. <laughs> it says I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah. I think in a, in like a, if you look at it in a very like black and white way, sure. But I mean, I guess that could be said of any sort of hobby or activity you find that takes you away from what could have been. I think. Yeah. Because I do the hate the way I frame that question because no, it does no, it, sound like I'm trying sense. to make excuses for something awful. I just No, not at all. I, I, I totally see where you're coming from. I think it, if my parents allowed me to... So even in the church, I wasn't super popular. I didn't have a lot of friends. I was like, okay. like, But my parents were very controlling about what we did when we left the church. So it wasn't like I was allowed to go hang out with these kids outside of church. So I saw them only at church. And their families let them hang out together. So they made meaningful relationships with each other, and I just kind of fit myself in on Sundays or, or Fridays when we went, or at Bible study, or at like a, a retreat, or whatever it was. And uh, it just felt like a dual rejection, but I would just ignore yeah. the rejection at one end at the other end, because the other camp didn't know about that camp's rejection of me. And so at church, no one knew I was like bullied, because I wasn't talking about it. So I could be like, oh yeah, I have a ton of friends at school. And at school, it's like, oh, yeah, I hang out with my church friends. Like if people ever like confronted me about it. Oh, yeah, I don't. Yeah. What do you what do you do? I like hang out with my church friends. But it was all a lie. It was always a lie. And so it just was like a cycle. And had I not had the messaging that being gay was wrong and bad, among other things, but mainly that from birth, (laughs) 
I wouldn't have felt half as terrible about who I was growing yeah. up and I wouldn't yeah. have had to find an escape because yeah, I, I really just always fought against who I was and who I naturally am from, I remember like the things I would do as a little kid. Cause you know, when I'm, when you're like a kid and you have no exposure to queer culture or any queer people whatsoever, yep. you don't have any language for it. You don't have any ideas of it other than what you see around you or on TV or what you hear. And so uh, let's see, I'm 36. So as a kid, there was no gay people on TV unless they were being murdered, committing suicide, or dying by suicide. Um, or they were like a super flamboyant joke, a joke to everybody else, someone that was the comic relief because they were the butt of the joke. And other than that, it was like things that came from the church were like, oh, everyone who is uh, suffering from a same sex attraction uh, ends up alone because their whole life is about trying to have as much sex with as much uh, with as many people as possible only. And that was your entire life. And it meant dying alone and going to hell. And it just got reinforced so much that that was the only possibility. Like, obviously, getting married wasn't an option back then. Um, right. Nothing even that you wanted to do at all was an option. So it's like, well, I don't want a future with no options besides death or dying by suicide. And I was miserable. So the idea of dying by suicide was very real to me. So it never felt like, oh, that's a far off thing that someone extreme would do. It'd be like, yeah, that, that could be me. Um, I already feel this way. What if I succumb to these feelings? then for sure, because then the little I have will be taken away from me. And then what? Yeah. And ironically, they like to make out that uh, you're more likely to kill yourself over because you're gay, because it's wrong and against right. God. And, oh, it has nothing to do with the way that they treat people and <laughs> how right. awful they make them feel. It's also weird how like, like, because that's the same sort of message that we got about uh, gay people and stuff was that it was just this lust driven like pursuit of carnal fulfillment that they never reach and then they get AIDS and then they like mm -hmm. how how old are you I'm 36 you just said it 36 36 <laughs> oh, I missed it I'm my bad so we're about this we're like the same age pretty much and I mean even if we didn't grow up in the height of like the AIDS epidemic like the the rent the ripple effects were still there where like oh, big time. that was the consequences and the divine punishment of being gay was they were plagued by this disease that, you know, only if I, and it, they were plagued by it and they brought it. They were the reason that was the belief that was sent to me. Like if you are gay, you are inevitably going to get AIDS unless you are celibate and that's gay and celibate don't go together. Um, which I mean, that part might not be too far from it, <laughs> but um, you know, it's like that was the future, and it was, and the church loved to talk about AIDS, even as I was a kid, and before I even understood what that was, the church loved to talk about AIDS and what it meant to be gay, and that they were synonymous, they were completely synonymous, and the idea of someone having AIDS and and survive surviving and ha and living and thriving was not an option either. Um, and even the kind of media that existed that had a gay person as a sympathetic character, they died. <laughs> they were they were killed. 
And it was like, oh, poor them. But they died. They always died. <laughs> or they were a joke. They were a total joke. Yeah. And like the, the, the queer coded characters were the ones you like clung to. And we're like, oh, okay. Like that's a possibility. But everything, when I was a kid growing up in, I was, I'm from a small town also. And so in my high school, uh, I could tell you every person in my graduating class's name probably it was like 110 people maybe. And of us, there was one out lesbian who moved here from another town and she was accepted immediately by like her community of friends. But I don't know how she, what her experience was, but from an outsider's perspective, it was, it was, she was from somewhere else. So she was like cool and she was very comfortable in who she was. There was one bisexual girl who was just shamed constantly for being like a slut, essentially. That was the idea, but that was who she was and by the girls. Mm -hmm. And then the guys were like, oh, it's hot. Like she just is doing it for attention Um, because bisexuality is still something that's like super stigmatized, even in the queer community. It's so ridiculous. And then of the gay men, I knew I had a best a best friend and we both are now out and gay and neither of us were out at the time. And we would talk to each other about how we would be teased about being gay and we would be like, it's, well, I don't understand why. Like, maybe we're just like effeminate. Why do people always assume we're gay? I knew I was gay secretly. He knew he was gay secretly. I, I assumed he was like me, but I just thought, uh, you know, people are making fun of me. So maybe he's not. But we both knew and we would talk like, oh, yeah. And we would talk about the girls we had crushes on. And we both knew we didn't have crushes on any of the girls. And <laughs> it was like... Yeah, I mean, oh, I didn't man. come out till I was 29. Yeah, I didn't come out till I was 29. And when I say I didn't come out, I mean, I didn't, like, sneak around. I didn't have, like, dating apps downloaded that I would, like, look at. I would watch porn <laughs> in secret, but that was about it. Like, I didn't, like, secretly kiss a boy or feel try to like find dying. anybody. Oh, every time I would watch porn, gay porn, I felt like I was the spawn of satan i was the most disgusting dirty filthy person in the world and i'd be like okay you know what it is that's what that's why you think you're gay a you think you're gay because you haven't had a girlfriend and i was very overweight my most of my adolescence so i was like oh you know it's just because girls don't like you that's why you haven't had a girlfriend and you haven't had the opportunity because no one's interested and yeah, and then you're just curious. So you're like looking for other things and you're just trying to figure it out. And now you're watching too much gay porn. So I would tell myself, okay, I'm only going to watch straight porn from now on. <laughs> I'm going to go back to watching straight porn and I'm going to like it and I'm just going to condition my mind out of this. And I would just be like, oh, this is so boring. This is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> but I just told myself, this is, this is it. You just... I just tried to convince myself as much as I could, like, that's, that doesn't have to be who you are. Maybe, maybe it's this, maybe you can fix it. Maybe you could change it because I had no experience of gay people at all. Even the people who I went to high school with that were gay, that I know were gay now were all closeted. I had, um, my first experience with meeting a gay person was when I was in grammar school, our, our music teacher was gay. And it was never told to us, but everybody knew. And he was teased relentlessly. Everybody made fun of him. If anybody had to sit next to him on the piano bench during class, everyone joked that he was like a pedophile and like it was gross. And like people would shiver around him like, oh, no, I don't want to be around him. 
And I, I look back now and I think to myself, oh my God, that poor man, like he was in a career where he had to sit there and be not only tormented probably by his peers and by everyone around him, but by children, by children, you know? And then people probably looked at him like, oh, who is he to be working with children? Because this pedophile, gay, false link still exists. It still exists. My dad still thinks that way. When I've ever, and if I've ever breached the topic with my dad about me, it's still like a thing he thinks, you know? Well, it's just lust. It's a lust-driven lifestyle. And they have no boundaries. So obviously, like I was, I mean, that was the thing I thought, you know, when I was younger. I was I mean, of it. how much is how much of that is uh, a little bit of projection too? when like you look at some of these passes and it's like, I'm sure you're not having a ton of sex with your wife and you're pretty jealous of people who could probably get it most of the time because mm-hmm. it's probably a little I don't know. I, I feel like there's probably like, oh, that's awful. And they secretly like there's like a slight jealousy. There is a jealousy that, uh, might be a little more available there's to some people than that. Big time. That's a big time thing with people who are homophobic or who hate gay people or who hate a lot of different types of people. It's always a they get to see somebody else living out a free life that they will that they in one way or another cannot. And it's this jealousy and this how dare you go out there and have the balls to be so free and so happy when I am over here doing what I have to do to survive. It's like, how dare you? Whether it's internalized homophobia because they have their own thoughts about that, whether it's like you said, they don't have the life that they want. They're not having enough sex in their own life. They don't have enough joy in their own marriage or whatever it is. It's like, oh, I see someone else having the freedom that I can't have. I hate that person because I can't do that myself. Yeah. What, what, what helped you? Um, cause you, you said you like, as soon as you could drive is when, or like late teens is when you kind of got to a point where you're like, I'm not, I don't want to do this church thing anymore. Yeah. Um, there's a big gap between that and 29 when you kind of finally admit <laughs> to yourself that you're gay. Like what, what happened in that time span and how did you just get to a point where you're like, fuck it, this is who I am. Is this where the militia comes in? <laughs> this is it. Okay. <laughs> Casey's, uh, I was waiting, for, I was waiting like, for this part. He's prodding because he's been looking for a new militia to join. That's how we met. And his last one kicked him out <laughs> for being too right wing. It was cra- I don't know what happened. I don't know what he said, but they were like, okay. Yeah, man, you took it that was far. our first contact. I'm Don't Tread on Me 69 uh, on uh, Stormfront cool. forums. <laughs> on 8chan, um, 9chan, and 10chan? <laughs> um. I I think I just it's like I peeled back different layer like it was conditioning myself to try to understand what who I was and and where it all kind of went wrong and so I think when I moved out of the house after I graduated high school um, it was like okay I never had a problem with other gay people like I never thought it was wrong for other people to be gay I just thought it was wrong for me to be gay that can't be me because I you know. I'll lose everything and that's it. It's too disruptive. Yeah. 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 And so I think it was like a little thing. It's like, oh, well, I don't have any other problem with other people being gay. And then I started working in customer service and being around other people who actually were gay and out. And I was like, wow, like that is not what I thought a gay person could be. Like, oh, you're different than I thought the possibilities were. And then becoming friends with more queer people, even though I was in the closet. And 
then it was like the media I was consuming when you started to see a turn and you started to see more gay people on TV or in movies and they weren't always like that archetype. And I was like, it wasn't okay. necessarily token. It was just yeah. like, this is just this because is just of the reality we live in. Right. And it started to be less socially acceptable to hate gay people, even though it's still like majorly prevalent. Like if I was in high school and I was out and I told my guidance counselor, someone is teasing me for being gay. The attitude would have been, well, what do you expect? Why are you making such a spectacle of yourself? Like tone it down. That would have been the attitude. Whereas it's, turned now to whether the guidance counselor likes it or not, if they don't live in Florida, at least, they could be like, <laughs> that's unacceptable, Super. and we're going to talk to the parents, and we'll figure it out. And even if they roll their eyes about it, there are certain things that you just, it's not in fashion to yeah. hate pe- gay people. I find anymore. it hard to believe many people going into counseling these days will be able to. Like, So I'm actually, I'm in school for school adjustment counseling right now. I'm getting my master's adjustment counseling and i'm like just reading through the book like reading through some of my books on human development and stuff like that it's just like um human development uh gender identity and how that plays a role in your like self-concept it's like i don't know i mean you would if you were going to go through the work to become a a school counselor and have to read all that and walk out on the other side be like well i still think what i think about it's like i don't think you really i don't know i'm one i wonder how many people are going through of the the work to become a school counselor that wouldn't be on board or wouldn't take it that seriously now uh, of course that's different than it was you know 20 whatever years ago yeah you're probably uh, right I'm unless it's hoping kind of vigilante hoping. who's trying to like disrupt the system from the inside but i'm sure yeah, yeah. Too, but um that's Spike a big levels over nine thousand. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then they go home and they're on grinder but i, I mean think, you, uh, yeah. <laughs> i think there is a dissonance for people where that's I, i'm sure some would slip to the cracks but yeah you know, even in I, like i'm at a strangely enough i'm the school that i'm at it wouldn't it's not overtly religious um they have programs that are but if it's not if you're not in one of them it's not overtly religious it's a it's a catholic uh university and um they would like i'm they're just out of all my interactions with peers and professors it's like no one would if there was someone who felt that way they certainly would not bring it up in a classroom setting and they certainly wouldn't pass if they wrote about their feelings on it (laughs) it's just actually not true to come at it from that perspective. Thankfully, I mean, I look at that and I, I'm hopeful for kids in the future because people joke and be like, oh, why is it so important to have like gay people in these? Se- why do they always have a gay character? Why do they have to fit them in? And I agree, it's annoying when a gay characters fit in and it just feels like a token or it feels like performative. But it, if I was growing up and I could watch my Saturday morning show or and or my evening Saturday Friday night show and see a gay person that wasn't what I saw I think it would have been tremendously different for me because you emulate you have your idols and the things that you look for you get from yeah. like in addition to your family and your like surroundings that's who you get it from what you aspire to be and what you think the world is um yeah I and I think it was just a lot of exposure to more types of people and more like, okay, that's okay. Maybe that's okay. And I got to the point where in my late twenties, like 25 on, I was like, okay, I'm not gay, but I'm not opposed to the idea of like, if, a, if I felt that way about a guy, 
I would tell people this if they asked because I've, I'm 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 very I think I present very gay. I don't think it's a huge surprise to most people. And I think before when I was closeted, it wasn't a massive change either. Like I still was watching like Project Runway and like I was doing all of these things that are like not for boys, quote unquote. Um, But I just, I was very deliberate about every action I did, like from tying my shoes to the way I would like react to somebody's telling a story. Everything was so calculated to make sure I appeared as quote unquote masculine as possible. And I just sort of over time, like, I mean, dancing was out of the question. Never would I ever think of dancing as an option because forget it. Like that would be like, I would be totally found out. I felt like if I moved in a way that was free, forget it. Um, I just think eventually I just felt like, you know, I, I'm open to the idea. I just, uh, I never met someone that made me feel that way. And I guess I never really did at that point. Like no one, I wasn't getting hit on by girls or guys for a long time. So it wasn't a big deal. I never had to confront it. Um, I was a virgin for a really long time because even the couple of times I actually tried and actually had a chance, it did not happen. <laughs> and, I, and they would be like, oh, it's okay. It's your first time. Like, yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. I'm not like closing my eyes and trying to imagine that you're a guy while it's happening. It's still not happening. Um, I always just tried to make it work. And when I finally, I think what it took was I was really comfortable in my life. I was much happier. I had in my general life, I had lost a bunch of weight. I was feeling successful in my job at the time, even though it was just Starbucks, but it was doing well. I was like in management and I felt like I was on my own doing something for myself. And I met a guy was much younger than me and I he was gay and out and he became we became friends and he told me he had like a crush on me and I was like oh god and I had already decided to move at this point I had already like had this experience in California that felt like oh I could try that and I don't have to you know I could do something totally different and I didn't move to come out but I think subconsciously I just needed to get away from my environment one way or another to just be who I wanted to be, whether I was going to come out or not. I didn't have plans of coming out. I didn't have plans of trying it or anything. But I finally had the opportunity where someone actually liked me who I thought was cute. And so I just thought, well, you know what, I'm moving in seven months. So if I do this and try this, and it doesn't work out, I'm out of here anyway. So whatever judgment and hellfire can come down on me here, I'm going to be gone in seven months. So this is a great opportunity to like, see if this is who I am. And so I told him, like, I felt sort of the same way and I didn't know what it meant. And then I thought, well, we'll see if he makes a move on me. And then the next time I saw him and we hung out, like I was the one who kissed him first. And the moment I kissed him, I just knew that was it. Like I couldn't go back. I just knew instantaneously I had kissed girls before. I'd had a couple of girlfriends, very low key, like relationships in like late high school, like literally my first girlfriend was when I was a freshman in college. And then we had kissed and done some form of anything intimate, but nothing that like ever materialized to anything. Um, But that moment I was like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is why everything always felt like a, a false, why everything always felt incorrect and wrong because this is what it's supposed to be and i had this like corny like fireworks moment like in my mind like yeah. something electronic and oh, my mind just like connected and i was like oh this is what 
it's all supposed to be like. This is what freedom feels like. And it was so great. And then I remember within an hour, the feeling set in like, oh, shit. I just <laughs> everything up. I'm going to hell. I succumbed to this thing. And now I can't go back. And now it's like, now I'm, I'm done. That's it. I'm going to lose everything. Um, yeah, there's a term for that fireworks feeling. It's sinful nature. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> is that, I think subconsciously what you were thinking is uh, because I'm moving, I'll, I'll bring all the fire and brimstone down on California. Exactly. With all the other awful people all those and other save my heathens. hometown. So it's exactly. kind of, it was very virtuous of you to. Yeah. And then it was over. And, you know, I, I did my coming outs to the people that I wanted to, like my friends and a couple of my siblings. And then when I really moved, like right before I moved, I told my last sibling I didn't tell. And then after I moved, I didn't tell my parents until I was in a kind of a relationship. And it came up over the phone, like, what's going on in your life? And I just fit it into the conversation because <laughs> just casually slipped it in. <laughs> I just, you know what it is? I told them, they asked me if I was dating anybody, if I had met anybody. And I said, I just said, yeah. And I used a male name and that was how I started it. And, uh, we I from kissed there. the boy and I liked it. <laughs> yeah, basically. Is he wearing cherry chapstick? It was a uh, bubble gum, bubble yum. <laughs> <laughs> That's harder to rhyme with. I understand yeah, why exactly. Katy Perry went with cherry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What was the immediate response there? What, did they oh, just ignore it? it? My mom was performatively. My mom was performatively supportive. She's not really. She weaponizes it against me anytime we do talk. Like, oh, I'm the one who accepted this You're terrible. Not thing your you stepmom. Like your mom. No. Mom? Yeah, my mom. Mom. Um, okay. But we, we don't really talk. Um, my stepmom. I've never talked to her about it because I know she feels exactly like my dad. My dad, of course. You yeah. Know, You're going to hell. It's nothing I want to have a part of. Um, you, You're like, you know. well, lucky for you, Dad, you don't have to have a part of it. That's not how this works. <laughs> yeah. It's not how normal, healthy relationships work. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's 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 dealing with it his own way. Um, I've chosen to, like, kind of... I'm done, like, taking the scraps of, of love from him that I can get. Um, and I just, like, you know, he's not a bad person. He's just... In order for him to accept this... In my mind, he would have to undo like a whole world of belief for him. And I think that's yeah. too scary for him to do just because his son is uh, is gay, which he won't accept. So so dad's still a pastor. He's still a pastor. Yeah. He um, is there. Do you ever do you wonder like it's tough? To, it's tough to untangle because it's definitely not one reason, but mm-hmm. like it's more than just compromising on his religious beliefs, like to, to be accepting and to, to be like a good dad, right. Mm -hmm. And a good dad that just wants you to be happy. It's more than just like, Oh, I have to violate my principles or whatever. It's also like, I have to compromise my identity. Oh, his identity is so intertwined into his Christianity. And it's paramount because as a pastor, you're in front, you're at the front and you have to be the leading example. Mm-hmm. And like other people, you know, brother so-and-so that sits in the back and hands in his tithe check and just sort of shows up on Sundays and sometimes Wednesday nights, he can be accepting of a gay coworker or a gay family member and like never really has to talk about it or admit it or worry about it, compromising like his church identity with those people but like your dad i mean he 
it's a part of who he is in the group that he values most is that he's anti gay or, you know, he's not affirming of that lifestyle. I mean, that has to, that has to be so frustrating. It's a lot because he, he's one, so he's one of several pastors. They're like a, you know, there's like four of them, I think who like run the service once like they do a different thing each week. Like one will do the worship one's in charge of this, like the service. And, I don't really know. I guess the other one's in charge of like snacks. Who knows? I don't really, I don't think first, but, um, <laughs> it's a parliamentary <laughs> model. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, so exactly what you're saying, like he is someone who is important in the church to other people. And so if he accepts this or makes a stand to get up against it about it, uh, that's, that's not, that's not going to work for his community. And this is his whole life. Like his friends, are all through the church now. Um, the rest of my family is not religious. Like my extended family, we're a big Italian family. And he is okay with my whole family. He loves my family, but he is the first one to say that they're all going to hell, essentially, because they are not saved. And he's very like born-again Christian, like very by the book. You can't pick and choose what you like about the Bible. You just have to accept it because it's fact. And yeah, he he can't, and also his sobriety is so linked to his Christianity. Yeah, something worth revisiting. Like, Life right. could it's, fall apart. Right. This is what finally saved him. This was not the first rehab he went to in his life. This was the last rehab he went to in his life. It worked because he found God. And I recognize the power of what religion can do for people in a positive way. Because I remember what he was like before. And I, it's far better who he is now. Um, it's far better that him and my mom did not stay together. It's far better. His life is a lot better. Like he found a new wife. He had a child. He's got a big family now. He's got grandkids. He's a great grand, great. He's a very, he's not a great grandfather. He's a very good grandfather. (laughs) Um, You know, he's got all of these things because in his mind of his faith, he doesn't think it's anything else other than gifts from God as like, because of his servitude and faith and honor. And it, he, he really can't. He can't separate it. It's so, yeah. too what's, much. What's it's tough too is old. That, it's too late. Whatever he thinks, it's yeah, too much. I, if I he think that understands this, he that. has to start to look back at all of the other things he believes, and he's going to have to start look. Even if he, re- I don't know what he really believes deep down. I think deep down he believes it's it's fine. Especially because he sees me now. I'm gay. I'm very very gay. <laughs> I'm very out of the closet, uh, and. I'm fine. I'm okay. It's all good. And I think he wants to deep down be okay with it. But if he does, he has to confront all of the other things in his life that he's maybe said or done because of what he believes and start to think about. And that's too hard for people to do. It's much easier just to keep doing what you're doing and to feel righteous about it and to hope for the best. It's much easier, even though the cost could be a relationship with your kid you could say, well, you know, I'm just, and he That's really it. believes we're going to hell. Like he really, truly believes that, which I know kills him, but he really believes that, you know? And that's a, that becomes a testament to his resolve. It's, right. it's a, it showcases like his commitment to his principles, at least to that community. Cause it's like, Hey, you know, I love my son. I want a relationship with my son. But I can't square with the sin in his life. Right. And, you know, that is the cost. 
I, I've sacrificed for my for my principles and my beliefs, and and because of that, you know, I I deserve this leadership position, and you yeah. know, I think it even some in some weird way it gives him some like extra clout to have a gay son that that he's struggling with because I re- so he told me when I was living in California when I told him I was gay. Um, after that relationship I was in ended and, and we talked, we, we very rarely talked. We still kind of rarely talk, but he told me he would never have an interest. He, of course, would never come to a wedding. Um, he would have a hard time if I decided to have children and play house um, with somebody and then raise my kids to be gay as though that's like something that happens as though that's why I'm gay because he taught me to be gay. And, you know, um, would he bake you a wedding cake? Oh, uh, absolutely not that kind of cake. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Um, <laughs> he, um, but he told me he what would never even cake? have an interest in like meeting a boyfriend at all. And when I came here, I've been with my partner for, oh gosh, almost four years now. And in California, we were legal partners. We never, we were going to get married one day, but we wanted to, for one, we had our reasons, but we wanted to make a commitment at that time in front of like family members and stuff, his family. And so mm-hmm. we were legally partnered there. It's not recognized here, which is fine because it's less confusing for people anyway, because we're not married and we do want to get married. And I feel like when we do, everyone's going to be like, aren't you already married? Uh, but anyway, so, <laughs> but you know, that's the path we're going to be on eventually. And so coming here, my whole rest of my family has met David and loves him. And, uh, he said he wanted no part of that. And then out of nowhere, I don't know how it happened or what came over him, but he was like, oh, uh, he found a reason. Like he was getting rid of a couch. As I said, I've had a moving debacle where we've had no furniture for a long time. And uh, my little sister who lives at home still was like, oh, our dad's getting rid of a couch. You want it? And I was like, yeah, let's figure out a way where (laughs) when they're not like, he's fine with me having it, but he certainly wouldn't be fine with my boyfriend coming over as long as it's not a wedding present oh a wedding present for, a present at all <laughs> it couldn't give me a present it's a donation from you're the, doing give me this payment. couch yeah but your boyfriend can't sit on it yeah. exactly yeah don't don't let him sit on it he has to sit on the floor with the rest of the gays um <laughs> he he, he found out i was going to come get the couch at some point and he reached out to me and said hey like uh i can bring over the couch a friend of mine has a truck and uh i want to talk to you and david and I was like, what the fuck? He wants to talk to David? And I was like, oh, okay, that's that's fine. Like, what what do you want to talk about? He's like, well, I figure we have to do it eventually anyway, so we might as well do it. And I was like, okay. And David was fine with it. And he, um, I warned him. David's very hopeful. He's from a very religious family, too. So he understands. His family's Mormon. So it's a whole other oh, yeah. ball, oh, of, ball of wax. So they're cool really in fun. a different yeah, way. They're- yeah, yeah. So <laughs> he gets it. His mom is super supportive. Luckily, like she's she's different. She's like the best. But, Mormon light. Yeah, yeah they It's a yeah. It's a thing. So <laughs> he um he was he's hopeful. Like oh maybe you know maybe this is a good sign. Maybe this is you know progress. Let's take it for what it is. Let's take it for progress. And I was like okay, but I know him, and I just I want you to be prepared. And so he came over the house, or no, we went to his house to meet him and help him move it into the truck. And he was very nice and he shook David's hand and I was shocked and it was kind of like a big deal for me, honestly, even though- Did he wash it afterwards? Not in front of me, not in front of me, but he is a mechanic too. So he has that real deep scrub stuff. So he probably 
which is went right into the garage <laughs> afterwards. Scrubbed a few layers of skin uh-huh. off afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old, the old cherry <laughs> and, soap. And then burned the, the dead skin. And uh, <laughs> so he he came and, over. And, and sackcloth and ashes, the whole burnt <laughs> offering to the Lord. He, um, he came over the house and he forgot his, the couch thing didn't work. It didn't fit in the house. He had something, other idea. And he went back to the house, but he left his phone at my house or in my car on accident. And I didn't realize it was there. And I started to, he started to get text messages. And I realized everyone from his church was texting him prayers about me and having us see the light and making sure that our hearts were open and, and soften our hearts to the message. And I was like, wow, this is like a storyline for him. This is, this is like a thing for yeah. him. You know, it's a, it's a public, it's, it's a, then you saw God, the cameraman show up. And- <laughs> Yeah, the, the new uh, drone flying of, overhead, uh, taking pictures. It was a demonstration almost. Yeah, and you know he came over, and I knew we were going to talk, and I did. That's what it was going to be about. Um, and it went as good as I could hope it could be. It could go. It was like the first time I felt like I had a real conversation with my dad, where he he doesn't know anything about me because he's never really taken the time to know anything about me, other than are you are you getting okay grades and do you go to church. Um, and how's your car? This is a mechanic. So he's interested in cars, and that's about it. Um, other than that, like if you ask my dad, my favorite food, my favorite color, any of the people I've ever dated, male or female, besides my current partner, he wouldn't know. He would have no idea, but he could tell you explicitly every detail of the people, his brothers in Christ of what they do on a daily basis. He will tell you every detail. So he doesn't really know me. And this was like the first conversation where I felt like I was talking to him and he actually saw me for who I was. So it went okay. I mean, I basically, he, he has his beliefs. They're not going to change. He believes them to be fact. I know them to be his beliefs. And, uh, you know, I know that being gay is real because here I am. Spoiler alert. We're, we're here. We're here. We're queer. (laughs) Um, But like he, it went okay, but I basically told them, you know, I know you think you're being helpful when you say the things that you say. I know you think you're doing what is makes you a good Christian and a good father, and I can appreciate that, but I'm here to tell you, like, I know how you feel. I've always known how you feel. You've got it all out. That's I'm no longer interested in that type of discourse, and I just have to have you respect that because it's just not something I care to be a part of my life. I don't want to give you any false hope. This is never going to change. This is who I'm always going to be. And, you know, he he respected that as long as when I'm around my niece and nephew, we're making sure we're not. You don't say gay. Them. Exactly. Exactly. So they don't really know that we're gay. My niece. I mean, I think they know they're not two. They're like old enough yeah. to understand. <laughs> but we just have to be careful about it because that's a whole other thing. But yeah, so he we just don't really talk. He's he lives 10 minutes away from me, maybe less. Um, and you know, it's okay. He's been around David multiple times now. He's respectful. He's fine. I know how he feels secretly, but he doesn't say it anymore. And for now that's okay. Um, I don't think that's going to be okay for too much longer in my life. I'm sort of of the belief. Um, I'm a big fan of Glennon Doyle and Mm -hmm. she, her podcast, she's had a lot of people on it that have really opened my mind to different ways to approach this kind of thing. And it's like, I actually don't need to accept that line of, I love you. I just don't 
I just don't agree with your beliefs. I just don't agree with what you're doing, but I love you. That is actually not, that doesn't make, that sentence doesn't make sense because you can't disagree with things that are not opinions. Um, you can't disagree with me being gay. You can reject it, um, but you can't just disagree. That doesn't make sense. Even though people think you can disagree with things that are fact. Yeah. You can't disagree. You're saying that because it sounds nicer and it makes you feel better and it's more palatable to say, I just disagree with your lifestyle. No, you don't disagree. You reject it, which means you reject me. And I don't need to accept the table scraps of whatever you're willing to give me and be grateful because what? Because it just reinforces in my mind, I'm some kind of monster that they need to be protected from. And I should be grateful they even allow me to sit at the supper table with them. What, right, right. Go you. Congratulations. You let me <laughs> into your home like I'm some sort of a beast. You know what I mean? And that, but it, it, it fucks it's with It's a pat head. on their back for themselves. Their yeah. Way. And it, it's not something I'm going to like accept long term, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. Well, well you, so it's, it's, I don't know. I guess I've never thought about it this way, but like, you know, you think about like evangelism. Mm-hmm. evangelism is kind of a burden like i never wanted even at my most convicted about christianity like i really didn't want to ask people about their spiritual life or anything like that because i didn't like being asked about that stuff like when somebody would go out of their way to ask me uncomfortable questions that felt too personal it was never a friend that was really close it was always somebody that was kind of like i knew him but they weren't like a close friend. But, you know, when I think about the because I I mean, I grew up, in a you know, my church was homophobic and it's 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 so hard to square with some of the contradictions or like the the not contradictions, but like the nuances mm-hmm. of being a real person in these situations. Right. Because there's a lot of voices out there today that are like, if you have family or friends that have like ideas that are racist, for instance, like maybe not overtly like neo-Nazi terrible stuff. That's, you know, a caricature of what people really think about stuff. That's problematic. You should just disown them and get rid of them. Mm -hmm. But being a person who grew up with bad ideas about race and about sexuality and stuff like that, like I know that like the thing that, changed me over time was meeting and getting to know and and learning more about you know like like uh like getting to know some gay people and realizing that they weren't like these caricatures that i had in my head about them you know and like those people in their own way were kind of they they kind of were like evangelists for that that you know that people community to me yeah that that helped break down my my bad ideas about what those were, you know, ideas that I mean, that's really how it like for me too. Yeah. I got that. Is there like, do you feel like some burden, especially with, I mean, your dad, like that's, there's so many layers to that. Oh, yeah. You know, that's hard, but like, is there, do you feel like some burden of like, almost like evangelism as a, as a gay man, knowing that that's what brought you around and helped you square with who you were and who were other people were, like, is there a burden that you feel towards people who don't have good ideas about those things where you feel they like can. they drive me nuts, but I have to, 
I got to be patient with them and I've got to like, just show them that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person just like them and that I have a fulfilling life that's full of meaning and happiness and love and joy and stuff, even though they don't think that's possible for me because of who I am. Yeah, I do feel that. I feel like, especially when I very first, maybe not when I very first came out, but probably in my third year of being an out gay man, when I was really proud, um, I felt this tremendous responsibility to in either like outwardly or through my actions or just through my existence in the room, educate other folks who maybe had different ideas about what gay people are. I felt this responsibility to, to be that so that they had a better perception because on the flip side, I felt a good example is, so I told you I worked at Starbucks and when I worked at Starbucks in Santa Barbara, um, I have never been called the F word more times by customers in my life than my time working at that Starbucks with no one standing Damn. up for me. Um, it is like the first thing someone will go to when they're upset. Because uh, I wore a rainbow on my my apron because not that it was like super unobvious, but I didn't want to, I didn't want the privilege anymore of being able to hide if I wanted to because I spent my whole life doing that. And I wanted to strip myself of that privilege because other folks who were in marginalized groups don't have that privilege. And I, in one way or another, wanted to be just free, regardless of what came my way. And I mean, that's what showed me people's true colors. But when I would be called that name or something similarly, or when someone would imitate me or laugh or giggle because I said something and I could see the way they looked at me, I felt like, okay, I not only hate this, but I have to be a certain way because if I react in a negative way, it's going to reinforce in their mind what they think about gay people. And I'm going to become the dramatic gay person. I'm going to become the dramatic gay man who's offended by everything or the one who's over the top. And so I felt like I had to really make sure I was very calculated in how I behaved so that I could show a good representation of my, my community to these people and possibly make a difference. That felt so similar to what it felt like being in the closet and having to be this archetype that was acceptable and palatable to people that I started to feel like this is actually no different because I still feel like I have to be this model that is acceptable to other people, even if it's for a more virtuous reason, it's, it feels more accurate. And these people are not going to have their minds changed by the barista at Starbucks. My dad, I could tell my dad a hundred times that I'm okay and that I'm great and I could educate him about queer history and I can tell him the statistics of uh, child molesters and how none of them are really gay. And I could tell him all and there are more, the different There's things. probably more pastors that are child uh, molesters. Far more straight white so. pastors who are child molesters. And it's like, I could give him all the data. It doesn't matter because nobody changes their mind because of what you tell them. It's what they see and what they feel. And so, yes, in a way, I do feel the responsibility to almost like be their exposure therapy. But at the same time, I can't do it at an expense to myself. And if he's going to let that in and, and take that message, I'm not sure. I would never be the person who says to my father, or anybody that matters to me, at least, where there's something to lose, like, we are done, I don't want you in my life, that's it. I simply say, like, these are my boundaries. 
and I love you. I'll always love you. I love you unconditionally, regardless. I have unconditional love. And I understand you, and I have chosen to understand you and where these things come from, regardless of whether you do the same for me. That's not why I'm doing it. I understand you and I love you. And if you can't respect my boundaries and do the same, until you can, I can't, there's a boundary that you can't get past. And um, in one of the, uh, in her book, in Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, and she says this in her podcast too, it's like her and her wife have decided like their love is like an island and everyone else in the world is not on their island unless they un- put down the drawbridge and let them on the island. And nobody is allowed on that island unless they are coming like with a full heart, acceptance, love, all of that. And that is a choice that you can make. And it's not um, your responsibility to educate other people. It's like, you know, I, if my dad wanted to come to me and he's the one who has the problem, you know, he has the problem with who I am and it's, it's a problem with himself projected on me, but he's the one who has the problem. And when he could fix that problem, I'm here I'm unjudgmental. I'm ready. I'm always here. But until he can, it's too toxic to me to constantly be around it. And it doesn't do anything for either of us except for hurt me and affirm him. Because as he gets to spout these things about me to me and that, he feels righteous in that in some way whether he likes doing it or not whether on some level he's like i hate that i have to do this with my son and i don't want to be that way it affirms his belief system and makes him feel he's getting a reinforcement out of it right and then i go home and i feel terrible because even though i'm super proud of who i am and i'm super proud of where i've come from there's still something inside of me as much as i hate to admit it that feels like i am wrong and i'm bad and i'm not okay in some way. And I fight that all the time in so many aspects of my life. And it all comes from that belief that was put in me as a kid that I was wrong and I was bad and I was okay. Like from the moment people would tell me, don't put that like towel on your body and pretend it's a dress. That's not for boys. Don't uh, pretend when you're picking a character in a game or when you're pretending to be a character, you have to be what boys do and what boys do and what boys are. And you have to like these things that boys like, because that's, don't do that. That's not okay. That's when I started to learn like, oh, I started to learn to hide little parts of myself away because they were wrong and bad. And I still do that in like other ways in my life, you know, and it's, it's really like toxic. So it's too damaging to keep reinforcing that belief in him because it also does it to me in a weird way. I absorb that in a way by, by putting up with it. I'm telling myself, yeah, you you should put up with it. You have to. That's your burden, you know? It's so weird to like pick through some of this stuff because not everybody learns the same or or, mm-hmm. or is led to change the same way. But like, you know, it, it's part of what you realize as a, you know, quote unquote exvangelical mm-hmm. is like apologetics is a waste of time. It is a waste yeah. of time. Oh, yeah. Apologetics <laughs> is for you. Like mm-hmm. it's for you because you are reaffirming all the ideas that you have and it makes you that much more certain of what you think. Like, and you have to almost get a sense of like, why are you having this conversation? 
you know, dad or whoever mm-hmm. it is. Like, is this like a performative action on your part that helps you like reassert your conviction to the ideas that you already have? Like, and, and to say like, oh, or are you seeking to understand where I'm coming from? Is not even really like what it is. It's not even really like that you're somebody who's coming to the conversation trying to understand who you are. It's like, are you coming to the conversation in good faith that like, do, do you care about me? Right. Do you care about me or is this an exercise in reinforcing your own identity? Because if it is one of those then we don't need to have this. Like, there's nothing here for me, you know? Right. And we're not going to convince each other, and we might as well not have it. If you're coming to this conversation because you realize that, like, well, I I don't understand this at all, but I love you as my son, and, like, I don't want to lose my relationship with you. Right. That's, that's a, totally a place that we can work attitude. from. Right, exactly. If it was like, I don't understand this, I currently don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me feel weird being around you and and knowing that you're gay. If he had that kind of attitude, like, that's how I feel. And I love you anyway. And let's, let's see what our new relationship could look like. That's not what it is. It's I will tolerate you in the same space as me. And you will be grateful for it. Because that's as much as I'm willing to give like he He believes on some level I should be grateful that he tolerates me, even though I have the audacity to walk around the way I do in the world. And sure, well, he's not wrong about everything. I mean, yeah, I do have a lot of audacity. (laughs) (laughs) But even like for the rest of my family, he's like, yeah, they're all going to tell you it's great to be who you are, and da 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 da. But they're not godly people either, so that's why they're that's where they're coming from. And I know the way, and you know he. I think he tries to do what he thinks is the right thing. It's not like coming from a totally negative place, but it's... But when you think the right thing is emphatically the wrong thing, it makes it very difficult. Yeah, he's just not open to the possibility of anything other than what he believes being at all valid. And so if you're not even open to the possibility that something outside of what you believe could be possible, there's no no way that's going to get in there by just, you know being around me and and seeing other people like me and, you know, thinking it's okay because he's, he's at the core of it believes what he believes. And when he comes to a conversation, it's to convince you and to get you on his side and to plead his case and at best agree to disagree. There's no option of like, well, maybe I'm going to learn something from this conversation. Maybe there's a possibility I'll take anything away. Not even like, I'm going to walk away thinking gay people are great, but even thinking gay people could be okay, or there's a version of this that I can tolerate or be a bit, be better with. It's like, no, no, I'm coming to this to, he used to ask me when I first came out and we would have some conversations. He used to ask me, why do you think you're gay? Why do I think I'm gay? Because I, why do you think you have two eyeballs on your head? Because you do, (laughs) because I am. And it's like, you know, this whole don't get say gay thing is so silly because it's as though it it's an infection. It's a yes it's a yeah, thing yeah. that you you are you learn growing up. Like you're good you're gay or you're you're not. Or you're and you know, listen, it's if people just viewed it as much more of a spectrum like we view everything else, you know, it doesn't have to be so one thing or the other. Like we know so much more about 
identity now than we ever have before. And as many people want to say that we're like inventing language and we're inventing words, I, I, I love when people say that. And I just heard in another podcast, um, the poet Alok, they were like, yeah, when people say we're inventing all this language, like, spoiler alert, that's what language, that's how language exists, like it's invented. So that's <laughs> the word invented yeah. was invented. Um, so yeah, of course, language evolves. Um, but anyway, like, it's important. It's important. And it's if you just saw that there's much more than just gay and straight, and there's so much in between and being gay or being straight or being bisexual or being trans or being gender nonconforming or whatever it is, doesn't mean that your whole life is one thing. Like everyone is still individuals for all other reasons in their life, all their other uh, identities. Why does the gender identity and like your the way you love have to pigeonhole you into one way of being you know what i mean why do people look at it that way why if we just erased that and allowed people to see that there's so much in between and there's so much so many multitudes of people in every community that it doesn't have to be one way or the other people get so scared of admitting that they could be anything close to any version of queer because it's like well if that's it then I'm not a man or I'm not a real, I'm not a woman or I'm not, I'm not who I'm supposed to be. It's like, I know people who you would never, who don't quote unquote present. I hate that like kind of idea, but they don't present as like traditionally gay that are like the gayest people in the whole world. It's the, it's so silly. It's such a silly idea that everyone thinks that being in the queer community, whatever, however you identify means like, this is who you are. That's every, here's the whole, it's like, Here's your Dungeons and Dragons like character card because you're gay and this is who you are only. Like these are the things you have to do. But I yeah, believe I think that that's like, what it was. We're it's like we're at this kind of like push and pull in society where it's like these conversations are obviously have come much more to much more of a head. And you even so even thinking about it in terms of your dad and the way that it's like that acceptance versus tolerance or openness versus intolerance. It's like um him saying well, just don't, don't, I'm doing air quotes for anyone listening, <laughs> but don't be gay around your, your young, impressionable. And yeah. Uh, and it's like, as though like, like that, it, like you're, you're still trying to like hide and control. And it, it, obviously there's a, a yuckiness to that and that's mm -hmm. not healthy. And that like that, that's part of, that's, that's like a symptom of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Him indicating that he's not, that he's just, that you should be thankful for being al allowed into that instead of we're allowing you to, not that they should have to allow you, but like that we will, we're okay with you being yourself because we love you, even if it requires us to figure this out mm -hmm. um, and making it a conversation versus like a list of demands that you have. And where it's weird as you're talking to me, like about um, just like wanting it to be, wanting everything to be normal, like mm -hmm. talking about, it being on a spectrum and just wherever you are is fine. Like, and, and no, normalizing that while also being at a point in society where, where um, I guess I'm trying to have a hard time. I'm having a hard time articulating, but where it's like, it feels big and it feels like a lot for people. And they're like, Oh my God. So you have to have these conversations and people who are having a hard time accepting this nuance are pushing back. So it feels so big. Uh, and then to them, it feels like, 
you're making such a spectacle or you're blowing this out of proportion. Why can't we just go back to like being the way things were? But it's mm-hmm. like, it's so it's this weird mix of like wanting to be proud of who you are, but that's like the, and then the hurdle getting over where we're at in society is like not having to even like think that much about it at all would, mm-hmm. would be almost like the best, right? That or would is be that the wrong? best. That would be great if it just was, uh, it, I mean, it's important to have all of these like safe spaces for, for queer people to go. It's important to have all of these um, like names for the different identities that people have because we don't live in a world where it's so, where it could be just totally normalized yet. Um, so it's important that these things are carved out because in a perfect world, yeah, it would just be normal. It wouldn't even have to be a conversation. But because the way we are, right now and there isn't that level of acceptance it's it's so necessary to have yeah. sort of like this division unfortunately because mm-hmm. you know if there are i have friends whose kids they don't like have like i don't know how they've had conversations with their kids but people are so afraid to like talk to kids about gender identity or queer people because they think oh it's such a big conversation but it's the parents who make it the, who are afraid it's not the kids Kids aren't afraid of this type of thing. They don't care. Like, it, I have no. friends who who just raise their kids, and I don't know what they've done behind the scenes. But when I meet their kids for the first time, and I'm with David, they're like, "Oh, the one I met this my friend's daughter um, when she was. I mean, I met her before, but as she was older, and I moved back, and she was like, "Oh, do you have a ring on your finger because uh, your husband gave it to you?" And you know, for her, I'll just say yes, like husband. But I was like, yeah, I did. And he has one too. And she's like, oh, cool. Do you want to see the rings I have? She doesn't care. It's not right. a big deal. And even the things that <laughs> she pushes care. back on, she's like, why do you have long hair? I thought only girls have long hair. And I'm like, well, I just like to have long hair. Like, you know how your mom has like kind of short hair sometimes. And, you know, maybe that's not how you think a lot of other girls have long hair. Sometimes you just feel like having different hair. And she's like, oh, okay. It, it doesn't have to be this whole big thing but people are afraid but they're not afraid to indoctrinate their kids into heterosexuality from exactly. the jump there's so much out there that like pushes this heterosexual lifestyle on little kids in like a very adult way that is totally okay and it's a big joke and haha and it's whatever that's okay we're having conversations with kids in churches at a very young age about abstinence and about pure like purity culture that's okay to have these very adult conversations. But all of a sudden, when you're talking about anything queer, it's like a taboo sexual sex topic when it really doesn't have to be at all about sex at all. I know you're only nine, but (laughs) you really got to think about what are you saving for your husband? Right, (laughs) right, right. I feel no like the I want you if you're if you're dirty and and filthy. I th- I think like when it comes to sexuality and gender, like those some of those concepts are really tough for me to understand and the idea of the spectrum mm-hmm. made it all make sense to me, you know, in a way that it never did before. And I feel like that idea is something that I don't know, I feel like it should be it should be talked about more because it makes more sense than like, well, you, f- you know, you're you fit into this specific category of people, and like, there's ever more and more categories and stuff. Which, you know, I think 
you know, if you're coming out of this community where like only heterosexual, you know, uh, gender, traditional gender identity and stuff like that is is normal and, and right. And the only option, like the idea of like 700 different categories of people out there that all have like these very defined individual, you know, uh, characteristics and, and stuff like that is overwhelming in the idea of like they're just being like this spectrum of like maybe you know you just skew a little more this way or maybe you just have a like i remember like the the idea when i first heard of like demisexual people who are you know i you know the the first term i was like another term like what is this what is that what is this other new thing now that that I don't already have an, like a, a point of reference for? And it's really like demisexual people are people who just, you know, it they really are are focused on like this emotional attachment, you know, prior to any like physical attraction and stuff like that. Like it's all kind of centered around this like emotional connection with another person, regardless of their gender or whatever, you know, and like. I don't know. It, I I think I had a hard time like digesting some of that stuff until I started to realize like, oh, okay, the, the terms themselves and like the categories, like they're valuable to the individual because it helps them understand who they are. Like, I don't really know what I'm trying to say. I feel no, like I'm, I, I'm no, wondering. It's exactly this. right. It's like they're the, it's not about the terms. It's not about the, the names we assign to things. It's not about the alphabet soup that we've made, the LGBTQ, I, A, B, C, D, all of that. That's important because people need to know that there are people that have come before them and that there are people out there that will come after them that are just like them. And because we've been erased mm-hmm. from history, and this is not just for queer people, this is for people of color and for indigenous folks and all, all different communities. We've been completely erased from history and it's to keep us from believing that we have a rich history. When there's such a rich, rich queer history, there have been people like us forever and they either didn't have the language to understand it or they were beaten, arrested, or killed for doing nothing, for existing. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently about how it wasn't that long ago that women were arrested for wearing pants outside instead of a dress in America. Like that wasn't that long ago. There are like lots of people with arrest records for women wearing pants outside because it was too masculine. And that all of the ways that we have like demonized women for being like feminists in the past was to display them as being more masculine and against what femininity was. And when you're like tearing down a guy it's to call him like every feminine name in the book and try to like take away his masculinity. Mm-hmm. And that's the evil thing. And it's like, we've, d- it's because the culture we live in has done that because they want it to be what they are used to. And it, it keeps everybody in order, just like all these other systemic things that exist. And it's, it's put upon us and we choose to believe that it's just the way things have always been. But if you look back and you search and you really, because you have to, because it's not like it's going to be taught to you. But if you search, there's such a rich history of people who were trans, non-binary for our entire American history, who were saying like, 
I do not feel like a man or a woman. And there just wasn't a word for it. And these people were killed, erased, attacked, forced into obscurity. I mean, other cultures around the world have all different names for these things too and have for a long time. But we people get so hung up on the, oh, you're like creating all these different languages and you're, you're creating all these different terms and it's so silly and, and you expect everyone to learn it. No, it's not about learning every term and every and being right. It's just about seeking to understand other people because everyone else is just trying to understand themselves. And what is the harm if somebody found a term that makes them feel like they're seen and that they exist and that other people also exist like them and that they have a place where in in the world and in the history books and a future and a possibility it's what is the harm in them feeling that just because someone else doesn't understand it like shouldn't we be we're a meaning me we're a meaning seeking species so what is the problem with learning and evolving and growing and creating terms is what humanity does for everything. That's how we understand things. And that's how we categorize things scientifically. That's how we do things politically in healthcare and all these other avenues. What is the problem in doing it with gender and identity? Because if you don't have words for it, you don't exist. And if you don't exist, people can keep convincing you that you don't exist and that you don't belong and that you don't deserve to exist. People can keep saying, that's silly. That doesn't exist. You're making it up. Well, we have to like make terms and define where we belong because otherwise they're they're in a way right. They're they get their way and they have gotten their way for so long. I mean, yeah, I mean I think from very little if I like I said if I had different representation and I saw different people out there in the world and I thought there was possibility for me, I I you know, I was defiant in other ways. I would have absolutely clung to that idea and all of the things I wanted to get out of my house for, and I couldn't wait to leave home because I felt so oppressed in other ways. It would have been just another thing that I would have about myself that I couldn't have waited to explore and be. But even when I got the freedom and I was on my own, I still held all those beliefs about that part of myself because I thought that's it. That's, you know, that's your future that you don't, you don't have a future. I, I love all of that. I think the way you summed up the necessity for giving people language to help them understand themselves and give them a place in society is great. Uh, I I think that's a great place to to wrap up. But before we do, I, I want to talk about your podcast. I know we don't have we've been going for a while, but I, you do have a couple of things that you do. Um, and I want to be able to like direct people to that, especially after this, I think this was a wonderful conversation. Um, so let's, uh, talk about what you got going on for a few minutes. Huh? Sure. And thank you guys for having me on. This was great. I have never been a solo guest on a podcast before. Uh, no. my co-host and I have been on a few niche podcasts or YouTube shows that have to do with our show together, but I've never been flying solo. So I was like, I don't know what to expect, but uh, I've heard your podcast before. I found you guys uh, originally from the Christian Nightmares uh, Instagram. And I was like, oh, "Oh, this looks like something I could get into. I'm always looking for new content to listen to. And uh, I really liked what you guys are doing. So yeah, if if you're looking for me, uh, I have two podcasts with my co-host N. They still live in California. 
And so we're a bi-coastal podcast now. Um, one <laughs> is uh, called Cool Story. And that is a podcast where the two of us are recapping and going through the Wheel of Time book series by Robert Jordan. And so we're currently in book four. So it's our fourth season. Each season we do a book. Um, and we, like, for the TV show that came out, oh, there, see? Yeah, that's that's, big that's the world of Robert Jordan. That's, uh, that's what's happening there. <laughs> yeah, um, disregard the really loud thunderstorm happening behind me. <laughs> yeah, uh, so when the Wheel of Time book series came out on Amazon, we did, like, a little side quest, essentially, and we covered that. But we're mainly going through the books. And uh, so if you're interested in that book series or in that kind of thing, check us out on Cool Story. And then our other podcast is called Ripped from the Headlines, and that is a fact and fiction, true crime sort of podcast where the two of us recap old Law & Order episodes, and then we mm, eviscerate them sometimes, <laughs> because the <laughs> 90s were not necessarily the best time for uh, representation for anybody out there. And a lot of Something uh, tells me that this is one of those shows where a lot of the gay people died. Oh, are you kidding me? Of course, of course. Forget about it. And anybody who is gender nonconforming or queer at all, I mean, not only just the gay community, the black community, the Latinx community, really any, anybody who wasn't a, a lot straight of dead drag man. queens and old Law and Order episodes. Oh, totally. To and the, the words, yeah. the names that spat out there, it's, it's pretty wild. And the, the looks, oh, the yeah, amount of scrunchies that you see on that show. The, the bangs, the bangs, um, the pantsuits, the shoulder pads. So we go through the old Law & Order episodes, and then each episode, one of us recaps the Law & Order episode, and then the other one of us talks about the true crime that actually inspired the episode. And uh, we try to do it in a way That's that cool. probably wasn't done on the show and probably wasn't done throughout the 90s and try to you know do it in a more... Uh, progressive way and really focusing on the victims and survivors of the crimes rather than, you know, patting the serial killers and, and murderers on the back. It's, it's more about the <laughs> people who matter in those crimes and their stories than the John Wayne gay seasons and all that. So, and when one isn't based on a true story, we find something, we find something to cover instead that's either related or from someone from a marginalized community who maybe doesn't get their story told. So. Yeah. Are you a, are you a true crime junkie then? I am. I've always been obsessed with true crime since my first episode of Dateline. <laughs> <laughs> Who's uh favorite's not the right word cuz we're not patting them on the back. Who's your favorite serial killer? <laughs> you know, I'm more the serial killers don't get me as much as these like individual stories. I remember one of the first really gripping stories was the Diane Downs case where she kill like tried to kill her kids in a car and then tried to pass it off as though they were robbed at gunpoint and then she did like all of these interviews while her some of her, I think two of her kids died from it one was in a coma which she didn't expect and then named her as the gun as the gun person afterwards uh, so she's in jail and still in jail asserting her innocence Whoa. but she went out and did all of these like interviews in public and was like excited to be on TV being interviewed as like the, oh yeah she like got all like this praise for it I think that was like the first <laughs> one where I was like what is what kind of people exist in this world um, certifiably insane 
Oh my yeah. gosh, it's ins- it, beyond insane. Beyond insane. <laughs> there is like such a weird thing with the things that people are willing to do to get attention or the things that they're willing to like like draw attention from are are just crazy to me. I mean, so I live in Wichita, Kansas, mm-hmm. which, you know, BTK yeah. is our, you know, our favorite son. He yeah, actually lives He's probably jerking off about 20 miles from me oh, right now. Oh, God. In, uh, El Dorado State Prison. He's definitely jerking off right now. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you're you listening, think, that's what he's doing. <laughs> you just think about, like, this guy who, I mean, contradicted all, like, ideas about serial killers and that he quit. He stopped killing people and just, like, went dark for decades and only got caught because he started writing the newspaper locally and like making little uh, dioramas for him. And I mean, he literally like the reason he got caught was he asks the reporter that he's corresponding with, like, if I sent you a floppy disk, you couldn't trace it, right? Oh, <laughs> and my they're like, God. No. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, he sends him a floppy disk uh, with deleted documents from his I, I believe it's a baptist church i haven't gone oh looking for the church but yeah I, just the level of narcissism and like attention seeking that gets some of these people caught is it's baffling it, the the level of like the lengths they'll go through to keep their identity hidden and then the sloppy human nature things they do because they just can't help themselves but to revisit the like the classic of revisiting the scene or i think that the shanann god what's her last name maybe it's shanann watts i'm I'm probably saying her last name wrong but there's a documentary on netflix about it too called the nightmare next door and it's the guy who he kills his wife and his two kids which i cannot even get past it still chills me to this day when i hear the story of it and then he he's on camera the next day because, you know, people found out she was missing. And he's like, yeah, just bring her home. Like, I want her to be home. I hope it's okay. And like, you know, I'm, I'm so worried about her, just waiting for her to come home. And then he has the audacity to try to claim, well, not even that, he goes, his next door neighbor has security footage from his camera of like this guy leaving his house in the middle of the night and putting something in his car and coming back without it. And then he... <laughs> The co- it's all on camera, the, the body cams of the cops watching the security video next door. And he comes in the room and sees them watching this video. And he tries to like stand in front of the TV and talk to them casually, like as though he's going to distract <laughs> them. It's so bizarre. And then he's in it's the interrogation wild. room uh, about to take the lie detector. And they're like, make sure, you, you know, don't they know, they know. And they're like, don't take this lie detector if you think you're, you're going to like just come clean because it's going to come up. Not that it's gonna, you know, lie detectors necessarily hold up, but he he fails miserably, and he's sitting in the room, <laughs> and he's like, they're like, okay, so you failed the lie detector, and he's about to like say something, and the girl is like, okay, let let's we know we're gonna skip that part of like the denial, and let's just talk about what really happened, and he's just like, okay, okay, fine, like, and it's just so chilling the things he did for seemingly no reason. I think he just wanted a, a different life. He was just tired of being. Uh, in that relationship and he just is this is this guy in colorado i think he was 
Okay, yeah, I've seen that. Because there's like full police interrogation videos online where you can listen to this idiot. Oh, my Like God. trying to like ad lib his way through in police interrogation. I mean, yeah. he's completely he say, unequipped like his, for it. Yeah, he tries to say his wife killed the kids and he walked in on her and that's why he did it. And then it quickly turns to like, no, you, you did all, you killed all of them. And it's like, that is probably the most chilling. I mean, I've heard terrible stories and we've researched some wild things. I mean, uh, cases I've never heard of and cases I've heard of and didn't know the full story of. And there's a lot of chilling things out there. But his, for me, is so particularly like dark and disturbing, especially when he finally confesses to how he did it and like, how do you reconcile these things in your head and think that this is okay to do simply because you're tired of your, just get a divorce, just get a divorce. I yeah, disappear. I mean, it's less shitty than killing people, right? It's quite awful, a bit, but just disappear. <laughs> yeah. Point. It, he has nothing to like, it's not like some rich guy where he's like, I'm going to lose my empire. No. If I get a divorce, it's like, Oh, we're both going to have to split payments on the jet ski package I bought. <laughs> <laughs> it's embarrassing. He ha- he's just some random dude in a in a tight Under Armour shirt. Like what what do you have to lose? Nothing. He yeah. His Under Armour shirts. Uh, he probably would love to. I'm surprised he didn't like take them off on camera because that's the type of guy he seemed to be. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, we try to we try to cover the cases with a little bit more uh I mean, we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun and we joke around because that's kind of how we deal with uncomfortable situations. But you'll definitely get a better a better idea of, of a lot of these cases that maybe you've heard of and don't know the full story of. And I think the law and order portion definitely lightens the mood. So Sure. Yeah. So if you're a fan of law and order, everyone should definitely check out Ripped from the Headlines. Yeah. You and can the, find and us the Wheel on of Time was? Cool story. Cool story. Yeah. Okay. Our website is rippedheadlinespod.com and it has links to, you can find us on everything, you know, everywhere you find podcasts. And we have links to our Patreon there. We have links to the Cool Story podcast there. Just search Cool Story or Rip from the Headlines and you'll find us. Cool. Well, Matt, thanks so much, man. This was a lot of fun. It was great getting to hear your story and get to know you a bit. Yeah. Thank you both so much. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.